are live. Welcome to Light the Sky podcast, our track-by-track, album-by-album discography discussion. And we are closing out our Nirvana discussion. Uh, We had some heated, long-form discussion last record on their Nevermind hit. And we've now moved two years, almost uh, two years, well, almost, yeah, almost two years ahead uh, to... Uh, their 1993 album, In Utero. We are going to have a uh, a pretty spirited discussion on this one. It's a pretty quick album, so we shouldn't have uh, too much of an issue getting through it uh, because we have only uh, 41 minutes of music. Kind of a short and sweet album. Uh, really uh, is is a an album that I think uh, a lot of people call the great one of the greatest albums of all time. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk albums that uh, really transcend generations. And you know, for whether you listen to this when you were uh, 17 or you're listening to this, you know, now I think that we're going to bring a unique perspective to uh, uh, this this album. And uh, we're going to go track by track. The four of us got uh, Chris on, got Alex, Kevin, and myself streaming live on Twitch. If you haven't been watching on Twitch, uh, you please do because you can chat with us. And we had uh, some, I guess, a little bit of banter last time on uh, uh, Nevermind. But uh, this show's going on YouTube live, no? So we got uh, got our website, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Twitch uh, TV, and YouTube. Everywhere and everywhere, we are going to take over the world or at least we're going to take over satellite radio someday. We were talking, we're going to be the truck driver (laughs) radio show. Uh, So if that's you, if you want to listen to long form content on some of the greatest albums of all time, if you're a truck driver, you know, truck driver friends, send us the show. I'm not joking. (laughs) I think it would be a good fit. Uh, But anyway, uh, speaking of uh, that, let's move on. Chris, your opening statement for this album what did you think of In Utero uh, in this release? All right. Uh, yeah, like the album, yeah, my uh, opening statement is a little more kind of rigid and kind of calculated. But uh, here we go. Um, uh, what could have been uh, the logical bridge between the first two records ultimately became an attempt at putting an arrow through the heart of the uh, mainstream success of Nevermind. Even though this album still went on to sell like at least half of that, which 15 million is still pretty good. So... Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if they totally succeeded, but uh, uh, not to say there aren't uh, some muscular melodic moments present that rake along uh, their most celebrated work. Um, for the most part, this is quite a challenging listen, uh, where a lot of the time the music acts as more of a backdrop to Kurt's emotional testimony. Um, but I believe that was always uh, kind of the intent of this record. Um, and at the end of the day, it's probably the most accurate representation of where kind of Kurt's creative kind of mindset and heart was at the time. Um, I will say though, I do kind of like less of the, uh, there's not as much overdubbing, uh, and effects as there was on the last record as much as I liked it here, but I like that they've kind of gone back to a more meat and potatoes. Uh, but it sounds good. There's still that production there. It's like, it's like bleach, but it's got the, there, you can feel there's like a budget behind it. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was kind of difficult as far as uh, rating this, because um, uh, uh, as far as how the music how the music is constructed, I normally wouldn't listen to this type of music. Uh, so this is kind of going to be an objective uh, rating. Uh, where as far as kind of sticking to his uh, or the band sticking to their guns and their creative vision, I mean, I would sink more on the nine out of ten. Uh, as far as kind of the bluntness where I think, I don't know, maybe at least in my opinion, maybe they could have kind of loosened up a little bit. Uh, but again, we're talking about a specific moment in time for Kurt where he was not very happy. So maybe that is just the way that it had to be. But uh, 
as far as that more harshness, I'm kind of in the high sixes. Uh, so I'm probably going to be in the middle at around seven and a half out of ten, probably, as far as taking all of those elements. Sounds good. Uh, next up, Kevin, your opening thoughts on this uh, record. Yeah, this is one I was I had high hopes for. Um, you may laugh at that, knowing what I gave the last two albums. But the fact you that, knew they had money uh, this time, Alex, you knew like, they had effort. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, Alex oh, yeah. spoke highly about this album. I see it sitting in the background over there too, and um, I trust his judgment on albums for the most part. There are sometimes when we don't agree, but I feel like this might be that one. You know, that one that not. You know, it was still successful, but it's not the one that everybody knows. It's not on the T-shirts necessarily. You know, Chris is wearing his. But I'm just saying, you know, it's not that, okay, everybody knows the baby in the pool album. Like, everybody and their mom knows that. So I was like, ah, maybe this is going to be the one. It's going to have the deep cuts. It's going to have all this stuff. (laughs) It's not going to be as harsh as bleach. It's going to take the lessons from Nevermind, and it's going to be this perfect combination. And for, like, a couple songs, I was sold. And I was like, okay, you know, I could see. I like I'm feeling it right now. And then like the same thing happened as and never mind as I started going downhill and by the like the side side B, I I don't know what happened on, on the B side on okay. this album. And I think I have to agree with some of Chris's assessment. It's like like yeah you maybe they're sticking to their guns they're doing what they wanted but at the end like there are times when i'm just like oh man oh yeah okay yeah it's it's hard because there's not a lot of again the music is again like i said in my opening statement yeah there is like you feel like it's more about what kurt is going through and not really the music kind of like the final cut like that kind of but i think the music here i think is a little bit stronger that's an interesting analogy. Uh, Already, they can, went from yeah. you can, nothing, they went from like Sid Barrett era Floyd to yeah. Dark Side Peak to Final Cut in three yeah. albums. You talk about a compressed right, pretty much. Comp- yeah. career. Yeah, and I can and I can see like there are those fans that they're the Final Cut is yeah, like Scott their Goldberg. album. We had them and on. You know what? Yeah, yeah. and I, uh, I I don't like the Final Cut, and I made it known then. And uh, this this is. Interesting. It, it's it's better than than Bleach in my like in my ratings. It's probably man. There are probably songs I like better on Nevermind, mm-hmm. but I think ultimately it was m- more disappointing mm-hmm. than Nevermind. If if that were possible, because I was yeah. disappointed that it was a thirty million selling album, and I was like, ah. But now we're down to fifteen million here. Ugh. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> no, it's just like you you have an expectation for it. So I. Well, yeah, like I said, I yeah, they were this. Never mind. A, did I give it a six, six and, a and a half? I think I'm gonna five and a half seems a little bit too low. It's where it's. I, yeah. I'll, I'll say I'll say a six. I, I do like uh, production wise what's going on here too. There's some interesting, right. Interesting decisions being made. It does tread that in between, so you get that. I feel like it's authentic to to what they mm-hmm. they yeah. are. It's in between that bleach, which they obviously had no money, and never mind. Whereas, like, it was polished. So we're like, okay, you know, I, I applaud them for those right. decisions and Steve Albini and things like that. So, yeah, settle you know, at the, a six. Um, this this record to me, I'm going next, and I'm gonna not tell stories this time. Uh, what we're gonna do that I didn't uh, mention at the beginning of the show is we're going to have a Nirvana retrospective uh, at the end of our discography here because it was only three, and I'll share my thoughts on from that perspective then. But on this record specifically, I really 
you know, Kevin said it well where the album functions better as a whole, but the songs, the peaks, the highs aren't quite there. Um, there are some really horrible moments on this record. Um, there are some songs that grow on you over time, but ultimately I, I read a quote from Kurt, uh, who was talking, I mean, maybe he was talking specifically about the mixing or mastering of the album. Uh, but he said something like this album, uh, uh, they were expressing doubts maybe about the album as a whole, but I think the quote was, um, you know, he should just re-record and do it. Uh, the same thing we did last year. Uh, there's no reason to try and redeem ourselves. I can't help myself. I'm putting out a record. I just want to put out a record that I would like to listen to at home. And the first time I played it at home, I knew there was something wrong. I wasn't interested in listening <laughs> at all. And that usually doesn't happen. I get no emotion from it. I was just numb. And I, I wouldn't say I would go so far to say that I was numb from this record, but it, there was nothing that pulled me in. There's nothing that really grabbed me to the point where I got to listen to this again. Um, you know, maybe a track or two, but that track or two that mm -hmm. was pretty good, uh, that I, that I did connect with, it was ruined. There's something in there. There's like Nirvana puts these things in their songs that just, they're, they're like, what would you call them? Like proximity minds or something. Like as soon as they get close to it, <laughs> like it was going well. Yeah. And then just trying I, to yeah, dodge like the fire just, like in a perfect mind, dark. little bits that they put in there that is just like, this would be such a great song if it weren't for this one part here. So I, I, I gotta be where everybody else is. Uh, probably, I, I hate to just give it the exact same score that Kevin gave it, but I feel like I'm also at a six. And you know, with that in mind, mm. I also feel like, and we'll talk about this next episode, but I kinda wanna go back to Nevermind and Bleach, try them again, and maybe I feel like I'm optimistic that those scores might have a little bit of a boost for me compared to what I gave them on first listen. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's going to happen with this record because I gave it five, six spins and it still wasn't catching. So we'll see where that goes. But for now, I am a six. Uh, I guess we've saved the best for last here. Alex, your thoughts on this record? <laughs> yeah. So as no surprise, uh, as I've probably stated to you guys before, this is my favorite Nirvana album. Um, I think it is the ultimate Nirvana album. Uh, like you guys, and I'm glad I went last, actually, because it was really nice hearing your guys' thoughts. Um, I think <clears throat> production-wise, it suits the band perfectly. Yeah, like you said, it's, it's better than Bleach. It's nowhere near as polished and as pretty. It's definitely the ugly duckling behind Nevermind. It has nowhere near the same amount of hits. So I get it. Uh, you know, listening back to it today, yes, you get into side B and it gets a little ugly and weird, but I think it was the perfect statement for them to put out at that time. Um, you could tell Kurt and the guys wanted to backtrack a little bit and guess, get less poppy and just really, they were the biggest band probably in the world at that time. And they just wanted to do their thing. And the fact that they stuck to their guns and went to Albini to do this and make it raw and ugly uh, and just, you know, say F you to the record label at that time, even though the label was probably fighting against <laughs> them to not put out something like this. I mean, Scott Litt went and even remixed some of the tracks to make them a little bit more polished and sweet and radio friendly. Um, and it's cool to actually go back and listen to the Albini versions of those songs too. But I mean, from being from Chicago and being a huge Chicago punk rock fan, I mean, I'm, I kind of worship Steve Albini. So just him being there on this record is huge for me. The fact that he didn't take any royalties from this record says yeah. a lot about him, which I think is really cool. Cause you can imagine how much money he probably would have made, but he's very much, uh, an engineer first and a producer second. And he, 
very much approaches his recording um, kind of like an hourly rate, like blue collar, like union worker. Like I show up, I put my time in and I don't expect to make any money outside of the hours that I have booked. And well, the I, guy I think did charge a really hundred cool. grand, didn't he? Um, <laughs> like it wasn't well, like he yeah, wasn't at the time, if you think about how much in 93 like that's like you know 250 no. today or whatever sure sure but like you could think yeah. about you know how many points he probably could have taken from this record sure so yeah i mean the drum sound is incredible i love how raw it is it's just a band in a room there's definitely some weird ugly songs towards the end of the record but i think it's so authentic to the band you have the pretty songs you have some pop songs and you got some some stuff that maybe is a little uncomfortable to listen mm -hmm. to, but like I said, I think it's the ultimate right. record. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if it is the one that I would maybe give to a, a, a fan to get them into the band. I mean, maybe I would give them nevermind if you'd want to win them over with the hits, but yeah, this is the best way to go out and it's going to be my favorite. You know, if, if it's got ugly ducklings on it or not, I think it's the most authentic Nirvana record. And your score? <laughs> yeah, we're all uh, sorry, uh, I'm going to give it an eight and a half out of ten. Uh, I will give it a point and a half lower, um, just because I don't think like it has all of the hits on it. Where I think everything flows. I mean, Nevermind is a greatest hits record, and this is not. And it might not be as perfect as Nevermind is, and I I understand that. But to my uh, like upbringing and my memories with the record, it's always going to be my favorite. So. I'll, I'll be objective about it, and I will give it an eight, eight and a half and out of ten. But it's my favorite. That last point you mentioned there is really just more than any other band we've covered. Seems to be endemic to Nirvana fandom. To say that you know, can you evaluate these records fairly in the context of themselves, rather than putting yourself back in you know, and 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 where you experienced this for the first time, and saying, well, this record is great because when I was in high school, that doesn't make a record great right. in itself, and it you know. The good, you know, I appreciate your fairness to that. That this album does feel more coherent, as in terms of its, you know, one to twelve song structure, as opposed to never mind when opening with "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and you just had like this giant head fake that you were going to have this high energy, you know, punky pop. Mm. Then, then you know, you had the lullaby right after it within Bloom, and it just like this album is definitely much more, you know, it flows a lot better. So, um, you know, I, I'm willing to move upward with my six and willing to uh, maybe see how these songs can open up. It just, they didn't really do uh, in, so to me. So being the low score here tied with Kevin, I'm interested in seeing what, uh, what might come of this because there might be something uh, new that I might discover. I thought one last yeah. thing, I thought it was interesting uh, uh, again with uh, Steve Albini that I guess uh, the, the, the Geffen records really like tried to destroy his, career after he did this i mean they saw what he did with nirvana as being like this thing that everybody needs to know about and like this guy needs to go away and I, it was kind of sad i don't know how much mark if you read it that's very sad yeah i mean for yeah. and he, and he even said in that interview was it something uh, with david yeah, himself that, david geffen uh it was everybody nasty. everybody who was involved like all these nasty yeah no i mean i'm sure he was kind of writing off yeah no i know no i'm sure he was writing off on it i mean nothing gets past him i mean as far as his company but uh uh, but yeah, Steve was talking about like that that year after uh, this album came out, where his his workload pretty much almost went to zero because the uh, yeah the the record labels were were pushing away or discouraging the bigger bands from working with him and all the little bands yeah that uh, were like up and coming were because he had worked with a big band like Nirvana were not suspicious of his street cred and so you had like the I mean you hear that with anything with bands in general when they hit that certain point they. 
uh, they gain new fans that might go away immediately and then they yeah, might lose the old kind of yeah uh, but it, it was, well, it was, it, 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 it was very what? unfortunate. But luckily, he came back when, when people saw that. Okay, this guy's a this guy's a solid, uh, uh, solid as far as it's, yeah, just, his, it's very yeah, hard to be anti-music industry in the music industry. Like you have to conquer the music industry first before you can. Be right. Successful. Yeah, you can't just come yeah. in as an unknown yeah. guy. Yeah. But anyway, and yeah. it's not, and it's not, and it wasn't Steve's no, fault. No, it wasn't. No, 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 no. I just felt, yeah, yeah he was kind of, he was kind of scapegoated. No, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm just yeah. saying, that, and that's why I love him so much. I mean, I was a fan. I am a fan of his bands like Big Black and Shellac and Rape Man and stuff like that. And he has such a, an iconic sound that so many people go to him for that sound, and that's the reason why Kurt. I mean, Kurt was a huge Pixies mm-hmm. fan, and Steve did Surfer Rosa, which came out in '88, and. Like there's the huge song on that record's "Where Is My Mind," which is in was on the Fight Club soundtrack. So, I mean, I don't know. Pixies were kind of big too, and the Breeders and PJ Harvey and stuff like that. So, I think it's just because Nirvana was so big, and everybody was expecting the momentum to keep going up from from Nevermind, and the fact that they you know almost commit. I shouldn't use this word because <laughs> it's kind of yeah, no, well, yeah. yeah. I'll let, but you know what yeah. I mean. It's like they. They just like, we are the biggest band in the world. We have so much pressure to make even a more polished and big record. And they're just like, you know what? No, we're going to do what we want to do here. We know this is not going to be pretty sounding, but we've always wanted to sound. And you could hear inklings of uh, In Utero on Bleach too with the really roomy drums and how raw it is. Yeah. I think this is this is absolutely perfect. I mean, uh, maybe this record made Steve even more popular well, yes, yeah, yeah, it's the is, record. It's yeah, the, it big, a, it's the yeah. biggest band in the yeah. world, and then they're using Steve. And I just, I applaud Steve so much for, you know, having the band, you know, capturing the band live and not influencing them, and just letting them make their record. Uh, I think is is amazing, and that's just totally the punk rock attitude. And I think that's why well, it's so authentic. This one in the and production, I, I love it. it. It might just be a matter of evaluate it in the context of the time because well this record is definitely darker than nevermind it wasn't that nevermind was this you know big 80 sounding pop rock album it was still darker and i I don't this one doesn't hit Mm -hmm. me as that's a gritty album like it just it doesn't really it's not the grittiest thing i've ever heard it 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 just felt just toned down and more as you said bleach like than nirvana right it, it, it walk it, yeah, it walks a weird line between you could see like it almost sounds like there are parts of kurt that want to embrace the poppier side that he kind of loves under the surface but then uh, but because of his emotional state in 93 yeah he's kind of pulling a little bit back so you've got this weird kind of balance that's not totally balanced uh, as far as going off a lot gritty or full well, this pop. is an interesting uh, time too yeah. because in utero was released in 93 um and rock was just about to face some very serious competition for the mainstream rebel movement, I guess youth, you know, angst or whatever, with the rise of hip hop, uh, which was super gritty at this time. I mean, you had some mm. Titans releasing albums yeah. by by '93, and you know we haven't really talked about an album that has to be competitive with that. Um, so you know, I, I, there's it's '93 still pretty early for that kind of thing, but this is kind of the end of. Uh, this the beginning of the end of rock as a dominant force in uh yeah in youth. before before a rap and hip hop came became kind of the next yeah kind yeah. of big thing yeah and as a teaser go listen to that bonus episode if you want to hear us the talk more about of rock and roll a lot of fun of an episode that so. was fun but yeah we're gonna be talking anyway. track by track for this one Kevin take it away. 
Yeah, again, um, for streamers, uh, follow along at home, but we're going to be starting with Save the Servants at 2 minutes and 32 seconds. those of you listening on uh twitch or youtube uh sorry we cannot play the music because we would get copyright strikes so you got to listen to it on spotify if you want to listen to the track so anybody want to go on this one <laughs> i will actually i will i will start it off on this one this song um pretty much what i wrote in my notes is that i feel like this song would make a good deep cut like a six or seven spot on the album and i wasn't convinced that it was a lead song like i wasn't convinced that here i am fresh off never mind i pop my cd (laughs) in my cd player and this is the song that comes on it's not a bad song it's not a bad song by any means but i feel like man it'd be such a good like deep cut and now here i am like i'm not convinced like the energy is like the the difference i know smells like teen spirit is like that iconic song but you can't deny that it brought the energy from track one almost in a typical 90s way that would become typically 90s. And this, I feel, just like is a little bit more laid back, a little bit just kind of, it grooves. But it's just like, man, I, I wanted the door to break down just a little it, bit this more. This song here. is very much an interlude. It, it just, it's got that scentless appearance is the kick the door down piece that you're, you're expecting mm-hmm. from this record in this direction. And then you have this interlude kind of almost like an intro but it's too long for an intro so it really isn't Uh, hey i can give him credit for at least having an interesting ending i know it's very 70s and that's nothing new but at least it isn't that 90s just end on that on the guitar and just trail out so yeah so so at least it's kind of a little cool thing that they threw in there and that gives me hope for you know a little bit more creativity this record right yeah there's a yeah go ahead alex yeah I was going to say, I, I can agree with you guys on this being uh, an interesting choice for, for song one. And I, and I think I would agree Scentless Apprentice is probably makes a little bit more sense for an opening track just with that iconic opening drum fill uh, or maybe a, a song later on in the set that I happen to, or on the, in the track listing that I love a lot that they, they were actually using to open uh, shows on the In Utero tour. So maybe that one has a little bit more energy, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of approach this one kind of like a blue off Bleach. Uh, it gives me vibes of that, where it's kind of mid-tempo, almost has a little bit of that 70s rock kind of groove to it. And again, with that solo, it's it's a little ugly, but I, I like this one a lot more. I think it's, it's catchy, and again, it, it just kicks it off with that iconic production that I love so much. So yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I could see what you mean. Like, it would be interesting if this was maybe buried a little bit. Uh, 
Yeah. It makes me wonder uh, interesting with, with all where of the placed, debate but... that went on between the band uh, post-recording. I believe there were like six or seven months between the finishing of the recording and the release just because all the fighting over the mixing and the mastering. But I, I, I wonder what how track order went into that in terms of just they had more yeah, time yeah, to do boy. that. And so they had to fight over, yeah. you know, because that's a huge part of how a record is yeah. perceived, especially in the CD era, um, because yeah. you are kind of listening to it just, it's not like vinyl, I suppose, where you you are going top to bottom, A to side to B side. But uh, still, people weren't just mixing songs and mixing tracks, hitting the repeat button first time. Right. It was a consideration. So I wonder how much that was, uh, you know, political. How much of it ended up being just a part of the battle? Yeah, I don't know how much of a, as far as their uh, what do you call it? Uh, as far as their process, as far as like song rank or how they order the songs on here, because yeah, again, I mean, <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, just with this record in general, I. The, again the music was much more kind of yeah again like the final cut like this kind of thing in the background it's yeah it's there but it's not up front like it was on nevermind where okay where you get that hook that hits you right here there's not a lot of that here except for yeah maybe one or two moments um uh, yeah we'll say here yeah that intro uh to serve the servants really does kind of lay the foundation for what the music is going to sound like this weird kind of blurring of melodic and dissonance where it feels like where it kind of leans one way, where it's like, oh, it's a little malacked, and it pulls back right away, and then gets into this kind of like, screeching kind of, yeah, it almost, uh, it's very off, it's, yeah, it's like playing a guitar that's out of tune, or where like two or three strings are out of tune, but the others are in tune, it's kind of, it was, it was hard, it feels, yeah, I don't know, you could hear the internal struggle in, on this album, which I guess makes it a little bit more a fascinating, but again, of, not, of the leader of the group, of yeah. the moment, um, and uh, yeah, it's funny, uh, yeah, here just kind of reading into the, it's funny, yeah, Kurt was really venting on this record, and sometimes it didn't necessarily come out as coherent, where he was just throwing out, like, where well, I'm complaining about this, and I'm irritated with that, and, yeah, because here on this song, there's, like, three things going on, where he's com- re- reflecting on his success, I mean, like, the intro is, yeah, Teenage Angst has paid off well, now I'm bored and old, where it's, like, okay, now I've kind of grown past the, uh, and then there's a little bit of, uh, as far as, uh, I guess, talking about as far as people who hated Courtney, I guess, at the time, there's some talking as far as a witch hunt, um, yeah, the guy wrote his autobiography, I guess, kind of got out that it was kind of a, yeah, that was kind of like, a, like the, like the press and the fan base taking a swipe at Courtney and him kind of defending her a little bit. And then it all of a sudden jumps into like his, suppose, I guess his relationship with his father where it talks about, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. As far as that, he's kind of grown past like the animosity, uh, and the people need to stop focusing on that too as far as that leading into his uh yeah, which i thought was fascinating yeah because there's a lot yeah this is really like the uh the kind of like a balance between nevermind and, Ble- and bleach where you've got like the, the nonsensical like lyrical structure but yeah but it's still if you read it closely it's not as vague as it was on bleach and it's not as kind of uh front like it was on nevermind there's still if you pay attention there's still little lines that make sense to what's going on can I'm glad you brought up lyrics, and yeah. I had this note yeah. uh, later in the track by track, but I just figured it I'd bring it up now. Yeah. Is that we we've obviously talked before at length about like in previous albums he said like the I don't know what the lyrics mean. I was like making some of them up. Some of them are just like they're ascribing these deep meanings right. to my lyrics. Do you feel in some of these lyrics like? I just got this feeling as I was going through the albums that not necessarily that he bought into the hype that he's like this great lyricist, but almost that he had to live up to it. Yeah. At certain points, I think sometimes, sometimes I got this feeling like 
maybe he had this pressure on himself. Like now everybody's saying that he's this deep, like he's this writer for a generation, comparing him mm-hmm. to John Lennon and right. all this other stuff. And sometimes I feel like he he like there's this pressure that oh, he's yeah, got no, to live up to it. And some yeah. of the some of the songs I think suffer because of like he's trying to like fit in. And it, he would have done oh, yeah. better to just there are times do where his there thing. Are, you can tell that there are a bit more there's a bit more effort put into it, I suppose, even if it still doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. There's definitely a, you know, a, a a longer period of time on this record, I guess I don't know how else to put it, where you'd say like, okay, the lyrics are, yeah. um, I guess, just more thought out. Um, there are definitely moments where it's just right. not there, but that's Nirvana for you, I suppose. Um, whereas with Nevermind, right. it really is kind of like come as you are, to me at least, being the one where the lyrics work the best. And then the rest of them are kind of take right. them or leave them. I know some people like Polly and all, but I think it's just, you know, whatever. You know, it just, this one just at least feels like he, that came across that there was more effort put into it. I don't think he struggled with it. I think right. it's, it's as good as you're going to get from him. Yeah. It's, it's kind of in between, like I said, between the, like the last two records, you know, where it's like, oh, there's almost like little like verses where it's like, okay, that makes sense. And then you have some like cryptic kind of, yeah. And then all of a sudden, then you have another thing where it sounds like, okay, that's, that's a specific thing being directed at a specific person or event or whatever a group of people uh and that's kind of what this song had um that yeah, you can kind of yeah, like i say he doesn't write in a linear way i mean that's the thing where you might have like an idea like okay that makes sense and then all of a sudden it kind of goes into this right like, okay unless you're inside his head you might not necessarily be able to connect well, the dots either stream of consciousness uh, or it's just co- incoherent <laughs> you know like it doesn't right. have to be and linear it, 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 exactly and again i didn't uh, again i could see something but again i had to research a little bit more just to, uh, as far as getting the meaning behind the specific but you could but yeah from certain verses you know, like again that opening yeah teenage inks has paid off well okay that makes sense okay you don't have to really draw uh uh, but again, I was kind of interested with, OK, well, what is you know, what, what does that mean as far as uh, yeah, that those verses alluding to Courtney or more talking about his father? Like, OK, I want to know what. Uh, and again, yeah, that was that there was some uh, intent there as far as kind of directing. Well, it let himself, me throw this out there, um, which was nice. With yeah. the question being asked of do you think this is him trying to live up with it, uh, live up to it? And, you know, obviously in that an implication that there's a possible no answer there and the idea that this band is is that we are inserting um our ideas or our thoughts as to what this might mean or even to their entire career like this is their final cut never mind was their dark side the first album was very uh you know sid barrett and and, uh piper at the gates of dawn um you know and, and if we have to put so much effort into building it up do you have to question was it not that good to start, like, do you have to, is it, maybe Nirvana isn't as good as you think it there? If you have to kind of say, well, now this is their final cut. This is their dark side. This is what these lyrics mean. Let's throw Courtney Love and his father. And, and maybe it's just not like, wouldn't, as much as you don't like final cut, Kevin, wouldn't you say that's a very coherent and thought out album that there's, Oh, with, without a doubt. Well, yeah, like I said, I, yeah. the, it just doesn't hit for me personally. But so call that's why it's a little yeah. It's like, okay, if we're going to go yeah. that direction, then this is pretty inferior to Final Cut and Roger Waters and his level well, of yeah, artistry. It's, it's, well, it's not as linear. Yeah, again, yeah, this is not, again, it's kind of I, like I don't think Roger Waters is, is good are, yeah. at doing things in yeah. a linear way either. Like, that's kind of a well, weakness like, 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 <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I mean, as far as the Final Cut. Good old Raj. He can't yeah. escape our wrath, even the okay, two discographies. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not after saying 100%, that. but I'm saying, yeah, I guess you could say, as far as on the Final Cut, I mean, there was more of a, I guess, as far as you want to call it a narrative, whether or not it made sense or not, was all, all the time was not 
here it just feels like okay he's just like it's like you almost, almost got him on the couch like talking to a psychiatrist um where the final cut is more just a narrative of a story of his father and all that sure. other kind of um uh uh but again here i mean yeah not that the music is very strong but it's definitely okay you definitely feel it a lot more than you do on the final when cut. i think of uh, um, songs on the yeah. couch sit uh talking to the psychiatrist i think of king vines took her <laughs> to the o <laughs> just totally not anything to do with this record but uh maybe one day uh, we'll do some uh we'll do some drill and uh, some some o block music <laughs> Taking our audience and just putting them all over there. Let me talk about Tokyo. I love the way this episode is going. Drill halfway through. Let's let's move on. I think it's time to move on to Scentless Apprentice, and we are going to be starting this song. At right from the top, I couldn't I couldn't stop starting right from the top. So we're going to start from zero minutes and zero seconds. like about this song in my opinion i love the way this song starts i love how uh groovy and sludgy that i guess that riff oh, i guess groove. you would call it yeah. it's not really a riff um and yeah. then the way that the guitar rises uh in the pre-chorus and how it matches the vote i think mm-hmm. they were playing around with that on stay away last record i think that was the one where we had a little guitar working with the voice and there's so much yeah, yeah so I much actually, good yeah, stuff yeah i remember that and i yeah. love the screaming too i love it i love how it's so close and tight like screaming in your ear mm-hmm, but then yeah. he's saying go away and it's so it, it yep. just hits me it's one of those landmines again that it's just kind of like that it, i can't help it but think it's of angst, that angsty, angsty teen and mom is downstairs and this kid is pounding this on way on his boom books Billy, could you come and Beth, where are you going now? Can you come vacuum the basement? It's gone away. Like, I just can't get that out of my head. It's like he had such a great setup. Could you think of something other than go away? It's so yeah, cringy. I'm, like, it's just anything else but that. It would have been cool. It's yeah, I, such I, a good song. It, like, it's probably the best thing that they've it, done to this point. Yeah, I will say, yeah, that that, because uh, I, I marked, yeah, that go away part does kind of fit the, I guess, with the more like dissonant guitar playing on this song. It almost has the feeling like where it's like a literal like, like go away, where it's like it's just where he's trying to push the listener away. Yeah, where it's got this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was funny, yeah, this, yeah, this kind of fascinated me a little bit as far and, as and the. And I should uh, throw that into yeah, that. It, yeah, I, I don't think yeah. he was thinking about the mom 
asking him to go vacuum the basement. <laughs> right. It just comes across that way. <laughs> and it just Again, this is again this is ninety three. We're at the peak of that kind of yeah, that culture yeah. if you want to call it. Yeah. So we, it's, we've it's, had it's, it's all the way to every, this point. Yeah. Co- collectively right. the, the we've had too too much um the four of us had too much time in suburbia <laughs> but, but the thing is that you can't say that because they've done that to the, the neg i'm a negative creep i'm a neg like it's a weakness at this point like it is a bona fide legit weakness yeah. you know no yeah. recess and no recess say that also- it, it's it's bad <laughs> It's just an, yeah, yeah, you could also say it also. It, at least it's consistent. Consistently right, yeah. bad, okay? And we're coming up on I mean, another you consistent al- bad point uh, in two songs too. I think so. Next one. Yeah, I mean you. I mean you. Yeah, you. I mean you could say. I mean that that I guess does kind of set it to a specific time and place where it kind of loses its timelessness a little bit. I mean, as far as again early '90s mm-hmm. angst. Yeah, okay, that was a moment. Yeah, not that we haven't had others, but there were that. But that was a very specific and maybe kind of angst. Because I grew up, like, uh, my angsty stuff is metal. And kind of like European yeah. metal, and it's like that stuff right. that you can't even understand. So I don't care. Like it's it's more timeless because I just can't understand it. And they're pretty, you know, like let's be honest. There's a lot of cr- like more metal lyrics are cringe than not. Like there is everything. Like even stuff that. Oh, oh yeah, it's got to be it's got to be seventy five yeah, twenty five. So it's right. not like, but <laughs> there's something yeah. about "Go Away" being screamed in your ear. Just I'd rather just not understand it at all. Right. I will say that that mm. I mean, whether take uh, maybe not being as objective, but yeah, where that was one of the things that kind of took me out where it's like, OK, that's really. But I understand this is this al- specific album we're talking about, and that's a part of it. But yeah, that was one of the things that kind of like it's just well, not and my, here's the thing, too. I don't want to keep thing. harping I, on I, I this point, it. but I'm going to even if there were and a I, and response, I, like, if go I, yeah. away is the call, if there would have been a response like yeah. go away go away go away but i want more go away or something like that like there would be yeah. some kind of thing and that I, was if, just not just screaming this angsty line no, but some kind of response that would have gave it a little more about depth that would have added to what right. i'm sure he was trying yeah. to get across right and i think in more i mean at least for me i mean i that kind of screaming i usually like more in metal than in rock music i think it just works i mean again being a mashuga fan i mean that's a lot of screaming mm-hmm. on there but it's but it well, works i'm not listening to mashuga it works in that kind of I, I don't care no no no, no 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 i'm not i'm not talking i'm not talking about the lyric i'm talking just the singing like that that, that visceral kind of where it's like a percussive instrument where here it just yeah it just i don't know it has a little bit more nails on a chalkboard but again that was what he was and trying was, to get across he was so good so at too uh, yeah, and he was. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't this be a good opener? Yeah. Oh, it would set the wouldn't tone. Yeah, absolutely, it would be. It pro it probably should have. And I mean, I know this isn't Dave's debut, uh, you know, because he was obviously on Nevermind. But man, I mean, what an iconic like opening drum fill, oh, and like yeah. one of the what like honestly, like say what you will, I personally think that's one of the greatest recorded drum sounds ever. It sounds so good, there. like the re- reverb on the snare. So much room in the Dan? symbols, and uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, that I mean, that stuff sounds great, but just for like a raw in the room sound, I just I think it works so well with this record. And I'm like, I'm so glad that they went to Steve to do this because he didn't get in the way, he just let them record their songs and he just made it sound really good. And I, I wonder to myself, like, what would it have been like if they recorded Bleach with him? I mean, obviously, they didn't have enough money, but. Um, I just, it's a great bookend and yeah, I love the way the verses, you know, ramp up. It's very kind of like their song aneurysm where it's just kind of like moving up on that G string or B string, Mm -hmm. whatever he's playing on there. And he's just kind of going up and just making it kind of sound like awkward and makes you kind of 
you know, curl up in like intensity and then it just explodes into that groove. And yeah, actually the chorus is cool. The way the vocals are mixed so high from the rest of the song and it like distorts in your ears. I think it's a really kind of cool creative choice. And yeah, it's almost like the ultimate Nirvana track on this record because I think the verses, like you said, probably have more depth than that chorus, but Hey, I mean, at least they're representing maybe some of those simplified kind of elementary uh, choruses there, like a school or a negative creep. So if anything, they're kind of capturing the the lyrical palette, I guess, that Nirvana has done. It's like it's authentic to that. It has, <laughs> they're fulfilling expectations. Yeah. It's a great drum sound, great guitar sound, and it just grooves and it's so heavy and yeah, I, I, this is like an ultimate track. It kind of covers everything that they do well, and it never gets too poppy or catchy. Like, you would never really expect the song to be on Nevermind. It does have some really good earworms in the verses, and then it just gets yeah. kind of ugly during that chorus. But it's like, hey, that's they do that. So it, it kind of covers all of their sounds in it, one song. It's weird, yeah, yeah, briefly, as far as... I kind of like the backstory on the... Uh, I guess, yeah, this, the lyrics were based on, I guess, a book that Kurt, uh, uh, one of his favorite books, which seems like a pretty dark book about a guy with an extraordinary sense of smell, I think, that ends up going to work in a, uh, like a perfume factory and, and concocts perfume smells out of like murder victims. Did you read that, Alex? That was something I came across. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a, which kind of makes the springs the song like, okay, it makes sense. All right. That's a good, yeah, this is a very uncomfortable, but again, like, yeah, I guess you could say the the perfume or whatever you wanted. That's those are the brief melodic moments if you want to look at it a little deeper. But I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah, he Kurt's going for the, uh, yeah, yeah, kind of going for the yeah for the jugular for lack of a better word. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of good. Anyway, yeah, that was just one thing. Even I wanted if you would have said yeah. like, "Go away, go away, go away, get out of my head" or something like that, that would have brought that more. Yeah, into as far that. as yeah, the yeah. character or whatever. Yeah, as far as yeah, yeah. Um, the story. I do have one. Uh, yeah, my first trivia question. I wanted to throw out. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see if Alex is gonna go sweep away with <laughs> this again. Can, can Alex one. sweep the Nirvana? Yeah. Should, um, should I just should, should I just give it to him? Just, just, just for no, his no, deep I, I knowledge of. Uh, no. <laughs> just give it a shot. Yeah. Go ahead. Go for All it. All right. Okay. I'll just get my horn right. ready. <laughs> <laughs> All, right, All right, true or false, uh, Scentless Apprentice was one of two songs credited to the whole band, the other being Tourette's. Uh, I think that's a Alex, Alex, stop, stop. Did he, Chris, just finish the question. Uh, and then... it, 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 wait, he well, wait, didn't you say true or false? This is one I'll, of the I'll, songs I'll, that was credited no, to the whole band? No, he didn't finish I'll, the question, I'll, 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 so let me, what's let me, the answer? Let me read it again. Yeah, okay. Uh, Scentless Apprentice was one of two songs credit, uh, credited to the whole band, the other being Tourette's. True or false? I'll go with true on that one. It's false, oh. actually. It was only the one song. <laughs> oh, it was only the yeah, one? Yeah, it was okay. only, I, yeah, that, was, that see, was a true question. Oh, Alex is out. He's out. So it's between oh, the brothers. Oh, Alex, I was going to warn you that the second part might have been a trick. I was going to oh, say... Okay. Oh. Don't step on the mind. There was, no. only, <laughs> there was only one track on... Uh, it was... Only Smells Like Teen Spirit was that the was only a one on the last record that was everybody, right? Correct. Yeah, Scentless Apprentice was the only one on this album that actually had the other. We were all just great songs. one per record. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least I mean, it's good. It's good. It's good on the last one to have. I guess to have if you're gonna have credit on any song. It's the good be one. The, the monster. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I bet they're all happy that they got oh, yeah. credit yeah, the song on that. that fills they the bank account. That. Yeah. Okay, so Alex so. is out. Oh my god. Interesting. Oh, that's, well, if Kevin and I both bomb oh, out, that's then he's okay. back in. <laughs> 
Sounds like a likely scenario. (laughs) That's a distinct possibility. (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah, let's move on to track number three. This is the hit from the album, unless I'm mistaken. Um, But this is Heart-Shaped Box. We're starting this at 1 minute 45 seconds. soloing stop trying to do it it's another moment that like for as kevin said this was the hit is this like the worst guitar solo you've ever heard on a hit he hits the wrong note there like it's not (laughs) he goes is is, he just goes down the scale like he's just playing the same thing just down uh, down the neck um because this is another this is a a solid cathartic song that that grooves and flows nicely and then it's not ruined by the solo but it's just so stupid like just just why is it there? Like, it, it, you, you, I don't want to shred solo. I just want no solo. All so right. that's that's I'm what not, I got. I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm, 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 I'm surprised nobody said yeah. told him to stop. I mean, I, I know that he was the main writer. Like, did he? What, did, did he just want to be you know Slash what? or something? <laughs> like sitting there pretending to hate Guns and Roses, I, I, and wanting to be this groovy, you know, Les Paul. Just I can write a great melodic line that fits the, you know, like a a, a feel solo. Nope, can't do it. I mean, funny enough, I mean, I remember this solo. I'm not saying it's great, but it is kind of, I don't know, ingrained in the Does it the make DNA. it good? Uh, yeah, I don't, like I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into another one of those arguments with you over yeah, there. I don't, I don't. You, <laughs> I mean, you said you were surprised that nobody told him to stop. I, I, I think they were probably all on the same page. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Just Why? Yeah. It would be, yeah. I, I guess, I guess after 30 Me million my, albums, you're like, I, I what wish you, Nirvana whatever. had more breakdowns because there's, the, even when they do those, I mean, even during the chorus, those, those hits on the toms work so well. It's like, why didn't they implement more of that and less of trying to be a soloist? Yeah. Because it brings nothing to the band, brings nothing to the yeah. song. Just something, even just like a Dave breakdown would have been I, cool. I just, don't know. Just, I guess I took you, it differently. You know, but yeah. you know what this song, I, I'm going to like, let's, I'm going to bypass the solo discussion. Okay, right now, good, but thank you. You know what <laughs> this song makes, makes me wonder? Like, like Alex was talking about, they, like they, they went back, they, they stopped the pressure, not stopped the pressure from the label, but you know, they kind of like. The pressure on themselves. about. No, they went like an about face, right? Like, we're going to kind of stick to who we are. We're going to do this. But this song makes me wonder, like, if they had gone all in. Which direction? On, like, we did Nevermind 30 million albums. You know what? We're going to do 40 million albums (laughs) next next album. We're going to top Nevermind. I. Yes, like it kind of, it, it makes me curious. Yeah, because this, like, this is the album they released. I can't do anything about it, but it makes me curious to think, like, man, if they had just like 
gone all in, how much bigger could they have gotten? Right. And this is kind of one of those moments. I mean, you've got, uh, it's funny, it's it's a lot more, I guess in a mature way, a lot more melodic, a lot more interesting. Uh, but it does kind of fit in with the with the tone of the record. I mean, it's it's poppy, but it's much darker um, and very fascinating. I just yeah, I mean those yeah those verse sections are just a big warm blanket. And yeah, this is one of the probably mm-hmm. one of their biggest songs that I love listening to over and over again, uh, solo included. But no, <laughs> I, lo- I, yeah. I love Chris's playing on this song. The way he bends the bass yeah. notes with the bend mm-hmm. in the chorus uh, just sits really nicely. And yeah, I don't really care so much about the solo too much. I actually even like when he kind of strums out that last chord oh, and it, fades it almost sounds the, a little tremoly a little like bit. And it goes back into and the There's verses, an interesting yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a part in that solo where um, he strums that last chord and then it almost sounds like they spliced the tape where there's like a quick little hiccup in there where it they like splice the tape, it stops for a split second and then he hits the chord and it's like clean. It's a clean tone with some tremolo yeah. on it. I always thought that was kind of interesting. Like, right. why is that there? Did they just kind of splice that in there? But um, yeah, I mean, this is just such a dynamic Song, yeah. record. Yeah. And, and like the production just captures it so well, like how slow and moody they can get. And then it just explodes on these huge choruses. So yeah, this is uh, another great hit. You can't deny it. I mean, you hear it all the time, but works for me. One thing uh, I- I'm curious on is I wonder, I have to wonder if they maybe had some kind of foresight, like maybe this was going to be the last record or maybe Kurt knew he wasn't going to like, yeah. like, like he wanted to just make the most authentic record to go out on. And they're like, you know what? We already did the pop thing. We already proved to everybody that we could write great pop songs. And I don't want to do that again. Like maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we can't take this anymore. We're going to do one more record. It's going to be our swan song. It's going to be the stamp of this is the most authentic raw thing that we could put out. And if it fails, it fails. And then that's it. It's interesting. And, you know, this is a record where I'm sure in in retrospect over the years, people learn to appreciate like a lot more. Um, I I guess I could almost compare it to, I don't know if you guys are Weezer guys, but like a Pinker, like a Pinkerton. (laughs) No, okay, well, that's fine. But it's like, you know, it's almost sort of the same thing. Where Weezer's first record, the Blue Album, got him huge, and there was a lot of polished pop songs on it. And then the record they put after it, I'm pretty sure it was Pinkerton. That like it was even even if you look at the album cover, it's almost like kind of similar, where it's got like this tan kind of dark, raw feel to it. And and it's one of those records where I think at the time, like people really didn't appreciate it until later. And then it's just, it's considered like a masterpiece. And some people say it's the best Weezer record. So it's one of those things where it's just like, it took some time for it. And and obviously, you know, the songs, this album had hits on it and you know, they didn't just totally go left field and say, we don't care and just put a whole record out of Tourette's or milk it or something <laughs> like that. You know, they still, they still wanted to put some, but I, I just think the softer songs, uh, I mean, you got songs like uh, Polly and uh, Something in the Way on Nevermind. I think they're, those kind of songs are captured so much better here with the di- di- dynamics and the instrumentation. And yeah, I mean, this is another one where it, it's almost ballady at times, but just that chorus is such an earworm. Well, and They were so never and, going to be able to top the hit because they were a band of the moment. They were nowhere near as talented collectively as a band like Pearl Jam. 
which you know had five. Right. Uh, were they were they all songwriters? I agree was with that. I don't know a whole lot about Pearl Jam. Well, they all they all, they yeah, all contributed. So, so that's I think, a kind so of band extent, that, like, yeah. even you know, when you are completely dependent on one person who is struggling, you know, personally, there's yeah. really not a, you're not going to get a lot of life out of your band. But if when you you know you have a band like Pearl Jam or a band like or yeah, Queen. Queen, like you can or sustain even, that for yeah. a long time. Because you just have so yeah. many people contributing. So there was just no way I think they would ever, if they had taken, like, let's outsell, um, never mind. If they had taken that direction, that would have been a bomb. And at least we have this as a, you know, if it isn't fully in that, you know, the direction they wanted to go, at least it is something that you could say that, you know, in the conflict between them and the label, at least it tilted a little bit more towards them. And we get at least something interesting than and a very uh, you know sad attempt, like maybe like a Stone Roses or something, where it just could have never done such a thing. And you know why try? And it just would have been just more embarrassing rather than having this kind of record. I think this one is more for the fans, um, if I'm correct in saying that, because this even mm-hmm. that this being the yeah. hit, Heart Shape Box being the hit, I haven't checked the Spotify numbers, but I would think that this definitely has to rank below everything on all the hits on uh, Nevermind, right? Like this is nowhere near as big as. I don't know. You'll have to, you'll have to look. I mean, Perchet Box is a pretty yeah, definitive. Sure. Song, I think this is a five hundred million. It, but this can't Spotify. be more than Come As You Are, Lithium, or or. No, I doubt it. it. Yeah. Uh, you you could go pull it up right now, but um, I mean, I mean, Mark, maybe maybe it would have bombed, but maybe it's it's still only ninety three. Like it, it's not like. It's not like a Guns N' Roses where it was Appetite 87, Use Your Illusion 91, and I'm not saying the world moved on, but it's like, I just feel like that gap is so long. It's like, it's it's still only 93, and and maybe they keep pushing forward, and, and they're in that moment. It's, it's a two-year window that you're talking about. So it's not like, oh, you had your one album, and then you missed your window because the album was such a success, like some bands just missed that that second opportunity right um so I, I don't know it's it's obviously didn't happen so that's but alex i do like that like i i, I don't know the only my, word in my mind right now is theory but that where you said like that they're they're just gonna do this like pre that pre-knowing that this is gonna be the last album that's I mean, an interesting thing to think about like it you know, almost especially when yeah especially when you went you're already on top. Like, you know, this is our peak. The next one's going to be the last. Like, well, maybe he knew he didn't have it in him to, to think about. do this for 10 records. Yeah. Well, it, and that's true. And, and it, yeah, it, it makes you like you, you watch interviews with Kurt and he's so like anti the industry and he just, it, you can't like deny his genuineness to just say f you i'm gonna i'm the biggest band in the world i can go in any route i know i have all this pressure to make even a bigger pop record and i'm just not gonna do it i mean it, it in a way it, it's yeah it's like they they prove themselves and then they just didn't have to do that again and like maybe they didn't have anything that it's weird it's like how, how, how would you know unless you were in the band or you were close to the band on, on what their thoughts were yeah but yeah it almost makes sense it's like yeah you could think and we knew, like, you know, Kurt's, uh, like, kind of instability and stuff with mood issues. And maybe he just knew. He's like, yeah, uh, this is it. And, like, the drugs, I'm sure, got more intensified around this era. And, you know, he had stomach issues, so he was taking drugs for that, too. But it's like, you know, maybe he's like, oh, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. So, F you, I'm just going to go out on top. And they kind of make, like, a joke of it. And I've heard them say that in interviews, too, where they, they honestly thought it was kind of funny that they were, like, <laughs> fool- in a way... 
They did. Like yeah. they're like they're literally just these punk rock kids from you know Dave's from like or well, he's born in Ohio, but like DC Virginia area, and these other guys are just from like swampy Seattle playing in basements and stuff like that. And it's like, how did this happen? Like, and they didn't like really play into it. Like all the way to the end, they're like, honestly, we are fooling all these people. Like it is, it was surprising to them that everybody liked this and they're, and they would just laugh about it. Like, this is hilarious. Like we're just making punk rock music that we would make in our basement. And somehow the world just loves this and it's kind of crazy, but like, well, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And if people like it, they like it. And we're just going to do our own there thing to the artist. end. And maybe they maybe they want it out. And they're just like, okay, well, we're out. We see the end. Let's just make the record we want to make and then tap, tap out. out. Because there's an artist, and I know we're sidetracking here. Um, he was huge for a minute uh, a couple of years ago. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Godier. Um, he had that, uh, yeah. uh, that, you know, very Peter Gabriel-ish run. Somebody, somebody that yeah, I oh, used that to was, know yeah. was, right. it was his a big billion hit. Dollar, yeah. A billion views on yeah. YouTube type hit. And from what I know about him, he yeah. just didn't like that. He didn't want the pressure to follow up on that. So he went back to his little band in New Zealand or Australia or wherever they are. And uh, just he's doing what he's doing now. So it doesn't mean you have to quit. It doesn't mean you have to say like, well, I hate the industry. So therefore I quit my life. I quit music, whatever. We're just going to, this is a joke. You just go back to being a Seattle grunge band. I mean, yeah, I think there's a lot yeah, more stuff uh-huh. going on with uh, yeah. him. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard to ultimately. Well, yeah, I mean, in, at, at the moment, yeah, people were probably like, well, why doesn't he just? But again, looking at it uh, with 2021 goggles, uh, on. Uh, goggles on, yeah, it's yeah, there was there was more than just yeah, there was well, probably well, not that he wasn't chemically well, dependent, but yeah, but it was yeah. Here, here's a band, and, and I know we could probably talk about them at another time, but I feel like I maybe kind of have to mention it, where in a way it. there was so much in the same world and you can almost kind of compare the two a lot and one kept going and one didn't. And that other guy's Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. And you think about what they did. Okay. They were so, I feel like they were so on the same kind of trajectory or in the same like wheelhouses is uh, Nirvana because their first record Gish also recorded at the same studio as where all those Nirvana, like Nevermind demos, the smart studios in, in Madison. I think at the time, uh, Gish was like the highest selling, like independent record. Yeah. And that came out, I think, a year or two before Nevermind. No, it came out like, and it, that it was, was a few months. I think they were both 91. Or maybe a few months. Yeah. They were same year. Okay. And then, I mean, that record did really well. And then Siamese Dream comes out, which is my favorite Pumpkins yeah. record. And then they put out Melancholy. And it's like probably at the time it was very uncool to put out a double album and it ended up being humongous. Yeah. And then what do they do after that? Morif, yeah. They go and they make, they make Ava adore, oh, right, yeah, yeah. which is like an industrial electronic dark record, record. Yeah. There's some- electronic rec- record. And it's a lot, I think Billy's like mom died. So a lot, it was very like personal and it was their job to follow up one of the biggest records in the nineties. And we're like, F you, we're going to make the record we want. And I was watching too, like that, that the tours for those shows, they played three old songs. And one of them was like a down tune messed, messed up version of bullet with butterfly wings. <laughs> and it's just like an absolute F you to the industry. I'm going to make this dark industrial record that nobody will probably like. You're not going to hear any of the hits on tour. Obviously they kept going, but it, it is interesting. Like, who knows, but I think maybe Kurt was just too troubled and he was too big yeah. where 
maybe he felt the only way out of this was we should ending save his this life stuff for the it's, it's nirvana in general because it's good <laughs> stuff i like yeah this. no i know i know yeah. this is I great know. stuff yeah. yeah i know we can we can all right let's um, so moving on from something uh really dark and troubling to a title <laughs> here's of the happy song rate me um, <laughs> <The fourth> spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah this is where the ballad is right it's a little transition there yeah we're gonna start this one at one minute and three seconds Again, it was at this point one of the songs that I think he was interviewed about the most because people took it literally, even though I guess it was more of an anti-rape oh, yeah. song. Uh, 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 yeah, I think from the yeah, perspective of the victim or what I think he was trying to do that. Uh, uh, I think he was at that point in his year where he was just writing these kind of from the perspective of yeah somebody that yeah that's probably very uncomfortable to rape. Yeah, whether it's a killer or a rape victim or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's weird. He, again, this is yeah, this is Kirk yeah, kind of going for the probably one of the more hooky songs on here the song an anti-rape song yeah very uh very weird um and it's funny that opening riff doesn't it kind of have that like teen spirit yeah. kind of like almost almost mm-hmm. like oh, that tone. Yeah, almost like a weird kind of like inversion mm-hmm. uh i know other people have talked about that but they just I, weren't good enough uh, to write it's like it's it's interesting <laughs> they had to do yeah, this they only had they had a small bag of tricks i suppose musically right uh, but it's it's it, it is it is much more somber i mean it doesn't punch but i don't i don't think that was the point of this but uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's weird, but again, it's a song, it, it's funny, it almost reminds me, again, it's like the opposite of that song, like, about a girl, it has that kind of vibe to it, even though they have the, to- the topical, it couldn't be more on, on polar opposite sides of each other. Well, I, I, <laughs> um, I do think yeah. it is, I do think it is kind of cool, though, yeah. and, and a lot of my favorite bands do this, where they make the music super catchy and poppy, but the it's music is dark. Yeah. And in a way, and that's like The Cure did that a lot, yeah. where it was really dark, moody kind of lyrics, but the songs were just like, so a lot of the times, I mean, a lot of it was dark and moody too, but then you got songs like, you know, Friday I'm in Love and Just Like Heaven and stuff. And it's like, it's very kind of pop radio stuff, but like underneath it's got this uh, kind of like dark, somber tone to it. And yeah, I mean, I think they do that so well. And and in a way, I, I wonder if that is a move where they're almost like scared to get too poppy with it. Cause I, I bring that up because you listen to the bridge of that song and the whole song is just very kind of like major key. I mean, I know he throws like an E minor in there, but it's kind of very kind of major key, mm-hmm. uh, a good earworm. The songs are, the lyrics are very serious and about like a dark, serious topic, but then you get to that bridge and in a way like at the bridge works obviously, but in a way it almost takes like, 
they're on this pop kind of trajectory and all of a sudden they just kind of take like an exit ramp on that bridge (laughs) and it gets kind of ugly and weird and it's like in a way it's it's authentically nirvana where it's a little ugly but it kind of works and makes you think because in a way the the strumming of the verses and the chorus and stuff aren't the most unique thing in the world you think like anybody could kind of write that but once it gets to the bridge that's authentically nirvana where they do their own thing where it's like oh yeah well that doesn't sound like anybody else and in a way it it, pro- it prevents it from getting like too saccharine and poppy and i think that's kind of cool that they do that and it breaks down where you could really hear kurt's vocals and yeah, I just it's a good dynamic I I'm, I'm for the band, to I think. Go ahead more toward the opinion that they just had, you know, two things in their bag of tricks and they could do the pop strummy, you know, punkish but still pop uh song that's the smells like teen spirit or the intro to the song, or they could do uh the brooding verses and they could just do the all out screaming. Like they had three things and you know, credit to them, stick to your strength. You're probably right. That's I mean, honestly, uh, and I think that, and I think that's why they found it so funny because they knew, <laughs> like, we're we're probably not that good, but people love this. Not, so it's, maybe it's that's why they can only I'm criticizing yeah, them. It's like they can only take it wrong so far. With sticking to your strength. So there's, like, I'm not slamming the band that sure. way, um, but it, it definitely is a uh, you know something that you just you know it, it, maybe it's just the only thing they can do, and we're ascribing things that they were intentionally trying to write, like the Cure could write or something, um, or you know you listen to a you know an Alice in Chains that I brought up, my new favorite '90s band, and just the level of of, of you know, range of textures that they can cover, or the depth of a Pearl Jam, like just they're just it's not here with the band, and that's fine, but we can only take two albums in this, which is all we got, so that's that's all right. It's just a uh, mm-hmm. this is a very um. Well, you know, I, I just, it's just not really a whole lot for me to say about the song, except I kind of like that they put it in the four spot. Again, am I doing that? You know, because we've joked about this in before. Uh, so if you haven't listened to the show, we always joked about how the four spot is the ballad spot. And it was kind of even like Metallica. They always had the slow, somber ballad in the four spot. And it was just kind of a, mm-hmm. an ongoing joke. Oh, yeah. um, and here the four spot is where you'd put the ballad and the ballad is called Rate Me. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. and, but the thing is, I don't know that they were sitting around the studio thinking, there's the four spot. And uh, in the 30 years from now, uh, this, this this guy on this podcast will say, hey, they, this is, I, I don't know that they were intentionally doing that. And I, again, I'm hesitating to ascribe meaning to something that is giving them boost when they just maybe just have put this randomly there but uh i i like it a lot in the four spot because it works well with the message of the song and kind of what they're trying to go for by putting it there right i just hesitate to just say give them credit for it because they also could have just been there randomly so right it was also where the end of the song where he's screaming like uh yeah uh, the title where it, it, it it's it has an uncomfortable kind of like where he gets stuck in your head there's like a weird pop mm-hmm craft thing with how he sings that like so chris you're doing you're doing paperwork at the office and you're just sitting there thinking (laughs) (laughs) put that one over the office in the (laughs) i just it's it's so interesting about his voice because you're never gonna say he has the range of like uh you know jeff tate or a freddie mercury or something where he's not going to be singing super high octaves and he doesn't have the most dynamic voice in the world but it's just so emotive where he can do, he, you can, he can ang- like channel pain, he can channel beauty and you just can't help but like somehow get s- like sucked yeah. into his voice. And even those screams at the end, like you could feel the pain yeah. in the voice, but it's still catchy and beautifully that and like was the point I was turning raspy. Yeah. There's just so <laughs> much like authenticness to yeah. it. And I don't know if he was ever like a trained singer or he just, 
was just blessed with this talent and he just, you know, went with it. And there's just something there that you just get struck to it. And it's catchy at times and, but it's, it's just so raw and authentic and I love it. Because, I mean, there's no shortage of guttural, incredible screaming from any number of metal bands that have come out since, but it's that he only uses it selectively. And in a song like this, it's done just enough to where it works. So, yeah, without a doubt. All right, let's move on to uh, Francis Farmer will have her revenge <laughs> on Seattle. We're going to start this one at three minutes and 11 seconds. It's so relaxing know that you're asking I don't know what it is, but I love how he sings the verses. It's almost like he's speaking to like a group of people, like just telling this story. I don't know. It's not. It doesn't have a uh, like a normal like song kind of where you feel like you're just listening to a uh, like a record. It's kind of like you know what here. I want you to listen to what I'm yeah, and then kind of because uh, yeah, I, I guess the, yeah yeah this I guess the Francis Farmer I guess yeah was an actress who lived in Seattle who I don't know from what I read and you guys probably read that too that I, I guess Kurt kind of paralleled his kind of life journey with hers yeah somebody who kind of became somewhat successful and was kind of yeah because of her own kind of personality or whatever was kind of crushed even more by the and became kind of a mental recluse uh and i guess he kind of put her up as a i guess somebody that he looked (laughs) somebody from his home home state who kind of went through the same thing he did uh but uh yeah, I yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's got this weird kind of again, where sometimes where you'll have Kurt singing with this, where the music almost has a weird sense of humor about it. Uh, again, very dark humor. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know, Alex, if you want to elaborate, I yeah, I just love the structure. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I don't know how to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, this this has always been a top deep cut song for me. Uh, when I was in my my brief Nirvana cover band, we uh, made sure to play this one. And I just, I think the dynamics are great. I love some of the weird kind of off guitar playing mm-hmm. where we'll throw some like little sour notes and stuff in there. Drumming is great. Yeah, this is this is one of my favorite Nirvana songs. I, I always go to it because again, it, it's hard for me. I, I'm trying not to speak so much on the hits just because I do feel like they can be overly explained and while I still love them, I've just, I've heard them so many times where I love going to the deep cuts because they're fresher to me. And this one I think is just fantastic. And there's, there's a part, this is, I think one of the songs where when we were covering Bleach and I was mentioning how I love how when Dave came into the band, he really honored Dale Crover and Chad Channing's drumming style with those huge, like reverberating Tom hits. And I don't remember exactly where it is in the song. I think it might be 
right before like the last verse where there's times where he'll hit those dun, 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 dun. Like that's like Floyd, the barber stuff, mm-hmm. but he'll do a thing where as he's hitting the toms, he also hits the bell as well. And that's just like such an early Nirvana thing. And I just, I love that he incorporated his like smooth, clean playing with also what they did. And um, yeah, I think everybody kind of shines. Here's the problem the with the way that great. this record is unfolding. Um, besides Scentless Apprentice, We've had, I mean, this, they're just kind of doing the same thing over and over, uh, especially dynamically. It's like, it's cool in one track, but we've had four now that have kind of just been the same thing where the verse is is more somber and it builds up to a chorus that can lend itself to a bit of screaming. Um, it doesn't necessarily go that way on this song, but, uh, and isn't this the strong side of the record? Uh, haven't we all kind of alluded to that in the opener? <laughs> so it's just their their bag of tricks is getting old and i don't necessarily dislike this song but and you know but i hate the title but i appreciate the story (laughs) i guess it's kind of a generic thing to just go after you know bureaucracy in the system it's like wow okay that's that's but the story is kind of interesting um if if not unique but there's a you know just kind of a sameness to it that's starting to lock in that's maybe why i go back to this record and and, and, you know, maybe it is, I'm trying to, eva- like, I'm, I'm trying to evaluate it from, you know, if you listen to a record like Def Leppard's Hysteria, and it, maybe I'm biased towards that because I like the 80s and I like the sounds on it, but you might be able to say that there's 13 tracks or whatever on that record and they all kind of sound the same and you're on track nine and it's like, oh, more big drums, more full chorus vocals. And I, I ignore it because I like that sound and I like 1987. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I don't like, like 1993. Not, yeah. So I'm just starting yeah. to just be like, yeah, okay. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to pass it up. Yeah, but what, what, is the fifth tr- what is the fifth track on Hysteria? Pour Some Sugar, which is right after Love Bites. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I, think, I think six is Armageddon it. Wow. I mean, <laughs> come on. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, don't, don't bring up that album. It it's going to make me Four talk about pour it. Some sugar on me. But I'm yeah. just saying, like, in terms of just the, the way the songs are are structured, it's kind of like, yep, if you didn't like the 80s, you'd be like, okay, yeah, this is just more of the same, more of the like, same yeah. junk. And we're like, that's the perspective I'm doing because I don't like I don't like the mid-90s rock scene. So I'm right. just wondering if I'm just kind of yeah. ignoring it because. Yeah, but Scentless Apprentice yeah. was good. <laughs> It was. It stands out. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's what I mean. Yeah, but that's what I mean. It's like ah, more more of that, please. Like yeah, dial I, I don't up. know. I mean, I'm kind of with Alex. I don't. Know. I just love the verses. They're, the verses have a hook. This weird hook that just gets stuck in your yeah. Just the tempo is but, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Again, isn't it just me. more of the same though? Uh, Didn't they do this with Heart Shape Box and Rate Me? And serve yeah, the servants. I don't know. Who knows? At the, who knows? At this point, he, he could be just yeah. sulking at this point. Where again, we're just where he's just burned out. He's just trying to get through this thing that he's doing right now and using whatever kind of energy or yeah, talent or whatever you want to call it. He has left. I mean, help. <laughs> I mean, there's a line in here that kind of, again, if you want to get into like, okay, how much should we be focusing on as far as how he's feeling right now? Yeah. That uh, the comfort of being sad. I, I kind of took that as again, cause he was pretty deep into substances at this point where, yeah, I mean, is this have to, because he's self-medicating so much. Yeah. Yeah, is this does you wish you could just feel like normal like normal emotions without naturally without having to I think Kevin's point Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot yeah, there's a lot to uh, yeah, and that's why it's hard compared to other discographies where you're looking strictly at the music where here you have to look at the man and yeah, the um even with what Freddie was going when we were doing Queen even when he was in the later stages of his illness yeah, you didn't really know. I mean, they were still 
Yeah, where if Kurt is having a lot harder time kind of masking his kind of burned out but, oh, nature. Okay, so yeah. we're going to go to this now, and I'm going to yeah. do a Kevin Day with Hysteria and just look at Innuendo yeah. and the depth of emotions on that track from Freddy. I know, yeah. Oh, it yeah. just, it, it makes, Freddy is like a, is like a 10-dimensional character compared to Kurt. And one last thing, I can probably include it in there, our retrospective, but there was a thing in his suicide uh, note where I guess he ref- references uh, Freddy, where he wishes he could just have hit. Yeah, he does. Yeah, where he kind of wishes he could have just handled his career in the same way that Freddy did, with just enjoying it instead of just trying oh, to. He is one of the yeah, greats, and he realized that he was not close yeah. to. I mean, Freddy is one of the greats, but people hold Kurt Cobain as one of the greats, and so we're evaluating it from that perspective. Right. Um, in his own way. Let's I move mean, on. Yeah, We're, again, had, this is a general discussion. Energy, We're yeah. trying to cut this yeah. out. Yeah, put in a special episode. Let's get to dumb. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we will. We are going straight to dumb, and we're going to start this from the top. I'm not like them. Back in the town. The sun is gone. I have a light. The day is done. I'm having fun. I think I'm dumb. Maybe just have funny I, as hooky as this is i kind of left to maybe agree with mark a little bit as far as them pulling out their bags of tricks where yeah this is another yeah, where you can really feel it now where they're pulling from other moments in their discography like you could say this has kind of that rate me kind of tempo to it or about a girl's that slow kind of acoustic-y kind of um and then it also uh has in some of the uh you say about uh, a girl the verses yeah yeah uh yeah that's what i mean yeah um uh yeah uh kevin if you or mark if you could pl- uh, briefly tune up uh at 112 the uh, like that pre-chorus sounds a lot like poly as far as the tempo yeah it's very much the as far as, as, as far as how he sings just to see i don't know if it's for paying attention or not but if the poly would have been more like this i would have loved poly this is kind of this is exactly what i was looking for from poly yeah, maybe well, you've got you've right. got the beautiful yeah. kind of, and I like. I, I will say it's yeah. still simple and stripped down, but just the quality is better and yeah, there's the music, more weight mm-hmm. driving. Yeah, the it melodies along, are, are less. I agree. It, yeah. I get what, I get what you mean. It's like it's it's definitely less uh, frat guy <laughs> at the party, right? And I yeah, well, yeah. I, that's what I thought of like the first time I heard this. Like this is the poly, but it's got a little bit more mm-hmm. ambition. I mean, they put the cello in there. Right. They're doing a little bit more than just that, but I. Yeah, I think I like Polly's lyrics a little yeah. bit Well, yeah, more. They're, 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 they, there's they a little bit more. Li- a little well, bit here, more. I don't so know. Like, I have combine the, the two songs, and then we have something right. I like. I mean, I like it. But I, I, Scott, I, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's in the same spot, yeah. and I think that hurts it a it little is. bit. Oh. It's like that firehouse, right? Like, <laughs> love of a lifetime, when I look into your eyes, they're in the exact same <laughs> wow. spot on the album. What a, what no, a, they're not. What, they're a, not. what a left turn there. Stop with the firehouse. No, it's the job. I hate music, but the firehouse ain't doing it either. 
It's no, it's the giant <laughs> yes, songs, right? Yep. It's the, the two ballads are both in the four spot yeah. or something like that. And it's just somehow you're like, oh, are we going to really have the six spot be the acoustical? <laughs> Yeah. You know, if Nirvana had done five more tune. albums, it would always there's the six spot, here's the acoustical dark piece. <laughs> but you can't help but to draw yeah. the comparison. Yeah, yeah I know. And, and I'm not sure which one I like better. And again, so. this is a lot yeah. more, I guess if you want to say, a quirky sense of humor. I mean, it's about, yeah, like some people like being blissful in their ignorance. Yeah, yeah, where it's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it was okay, it was nice to kind of, okay, it's a little, kinda, not taking a pot shot at certain, but, but, I don't know. It's just kind of observing people that are happy. Like, I wish I could be happy like that. Yeah. Maybe that Does was a Kirk that kind of reflecting. Lyrics. I think that's what he was trying to get across. Yeah. I had to, um, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I guess Kurt had said, yeah, that, uh, just talking about people he encountered, uh, that in, that in general, they're not, they're kind of at the bottom of the social, social ladder or whatever, and aren't exactly intelligent, but for whatever reason, they're, they, they live happy lives and kind of get through in their own, in their own way. And maybe that was, again, just him trying to find, like, like look at what I have and look how miserable I am and look at these people who have nothing or whatever and just don't know what's good. But they're still, yeah, they're still, they still wake up in the morning and they're still with a smile on their well, face. I would have yeah. enjoyed this much yeah, I don't more know. from well, the perspective it, 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 that we talked about earlier from the band saying, why yeah. are we so popular? And if they truly had that making this song, maybe they were going to this song, but uh, that would be something that would be, yeah. would have made that thought pretty interesting. Go ahead, Alex. No, I, yeah, I mean, this one, I, I, I remember hearing it. I'm pretty sure this one's on the MTV Unplugged version. And it's it's funny, you listen to this with the cello and the other instrumentation, and it makes so much sense why they did that record and why that record, you know, did well. Because I, I think it's a really good side of the band for them to do that. And I'm not sure if, like and About a Girl, if the version on that album really kind of helped people go back and uh, really dig deep into the studio version. I mean, I, I'm sure it was always kind of well received, but I, I think if anything, the uh, the acoustic version on that album made me like this one a little bit more. But yeah, no, I, I definitely I, I agree with all your guys' thoughts. I don't need to say too much, but it's definitely maybe the more impressive, you know, sonic version of Polly. And yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't do a, do a whole lot of digging on like the um, lyrical content, but that's true. I mean, the song is about how he's kind of dumbfounded that people with such simple lives that could, like he finds it um, kind of crazy that people could just like sit in front of the TV all day, not have, not have a significant other, not have a job, but still just be com- like <laughs> completely contempt. And in a way, I almost think it's kind of like ironic because it seemed like maybe at, at first he was, you, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for, for him and obviously I can't, but um it's like maybe that's kind of how he wanted his life, to be, and then yeah. all of a sudden, yeah. it, it it just got so big that he couldn't kind of control it. And in a way, he's like, I, I find it kind of funny that people with such sim- similar, like simple, sedative lives could be so happy, and here's me with like you know money and wealth and fame, and and I'm not happy. And it's like, well, maybe he kind of wishes he had that again, and. You know, maybe it's not his fault. Like maybe it makes sense. Like, you know, maybe the music industry and the media just made him something that he didn't want to be. Yep. And it's just, it was just the time and place and his songs just touch people at the right time. And I'm sure in, in a way he wanted it, but yeah, like Kurt said, or Dave said, it's like, he wasn't ready for what was going to come of it. And Here's it makes so thing. much sense. Um, hmm. This song I, I put down as, um, you know, maybe them, I don't know. I, I doubt that they were trying to do it, but a comfortably numb by Pink Floyd. And if you just do a little bit of reading into 
you just compare the lyrics side by side and it just, you know, I don't mean to keep ragging on the band, but we are evaluated in the context of this greatest discographies of all time. And we covered Pink Floyd and, you know, go to Pink Floyd and look at those lyrics. I think Roger Waters wrote that song and just the depth there, the, the, the back and forth narrative with Kurt, Kurt doesn't seem to do it, just always from one side of the, the, the story and how, you know, Roger would do it from both sides and play with the conflict. It's just that there's something there that's much more timeless about it. Whereas this, it just kind of feels like, okay, interesting thoughts. Now what? There's just nothing to follow up that you would make you sit and right. think like a, a Pink Floyd song would. No, I don't think it was yeah. that's what the intention was here. I think just it was just kind of enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Um, from dumb to very ape. Um, I should throw a grunt in there or something. <laughs> yeah. you know, let's, let's start. Very, I'd be down for that. <laughs> have a grunt fest in the okay. seventh spot. <laughs> let's let's start right from the skit. top on very ape. That's funny. Here we've got what the short Spitfire mid-tempo punk, punk rocker. There's a lot in there. It's not it's under two minutes, but it's not like the like what you expect from like the early punk scene where you've just got like the Ramones, which just bam, 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 bam. It's very kind of yeah, it's got that kind of pop structure to it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you guys can elaborate on this more. I mean, it's just again, just seems to be about embracing just kind of the snot nosed kind of the stuff that Mark's been complaining about yeah, as far as that and not to take the right the guy who's talking seriously uh because again there's a little bit in there i mean i don't know how much to really if you've ever need anything please don't hesitate to ask someone else first i like that i like that yeah line. i don't know maybe maybe that, maybe maybe you can say that was current like at this point it's like stop looking to me for there are know. good lines they yeah. just don't develop yeah. they don't go anywhere no they, you're right there's a lot of weird and again i had to really there's not there's a lot of nonsense going on here yeah but again i think that was again to what i said in my statement yeah it's just embracing like that again that snot nose kind of punk rock club whatever guy yeah, who's just yeah it's not you're not looking for any intellectual kind of uh, deeper meaning or whatever it's just well yeah. to me this is the bleach yeah, like, song mm-hmm. on the album yeah oh yeah absolutely well you know what, the, what this more, song maybe. reminds me of oh, what this song reminds me of and it, it's almost kind of in a similar spot on the record and i'm actually curious because i'm going to preface it in this way and i don't know if it'll persuade you at all but this song is to me the lounge act of the record and I know you didn't really like that one because it was it set the template of what gin gin blossoms yeah. and what those songs were going to be. And in a way, this has like a similar groove 
and structure to it, but it's nowhere near as poppy and it's almost like their version of it. And I wonder if you buy that more. Yeah, I did. I, I, I got into this a little bit more. It just felt like they were kind of, yeah, where they were, the, the energy was there. Yeah, this one yeah. gets the blood going. Uh, even, even, oh, I yeah. love that weird, I yeah. love the weird guitar, like, kind of line going there. And, yeah, it's got that, yeah. And I, I, and I know they were, like, Devo fans, and this isn't, like, the most Devo thing in the world, but I can almost see, like, why there, there's just some kind of quirky, quirkiness to it, like, B-52's quirky, quirkiness to it that I like, and, uh, and I know on the first uh, Foo Fighters record, there's a song called Watershed. And I feel like it's very similar to this, especially like in the guitar tone and like the moving up and back and forth on the power chords. So you could tell like, you know, Dave was very influenced by Kurt's writing and kind of in a way put that on the first Foo I record. Usually, so yeah, this is a- Yeah, I usually complain ahead, about the repeating and sometimes it works for me. A lot of times it doesn't. Uh, when your song is only a minute 56, it's okay. It's all right. It, it, it kind of just gives that that rager feel to it. Uh, that well, yeah. you just have that. You know, you'd love to see this kind of thing live. Um, it just doesn't have that annoyance to me. That sometimes it works, like with the, uh, um, you know, give me back my alcohol on, on scorn or swarm. What was that? Scoff. Uh, that's that that works. That works yeah. all right. And that's that's what they can do. That's their one of their bags of tricks is that they can just take something and repeat it. Take it or leave it. It's good or it isn't. That's what we're gonna do. That's what we're gonna bring you. Yeah. All right. All right. I got wow. it. I do have another oh, question. Yeah, because it's, cause it's, it's right. been a while. I figured well, I, I got st- to gotta stay out of this one. Yeah, you can sit back yeah. and, uh, and enjoy your. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I got a true or false question here. All right. Um, all right. Uh, the album managed to remain in the Billboard Top 40 by year's end. True or false? Good question. Um, yeah, Mark, uh, Mark, Mark. I'm going for it, not knowing the answer. True or false to the staying in the Top 40? By year's um, end, yeah. This was released in the end of the year. This didn't really have. I'm going to go with false. You're right. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. There we go. Yeah, it it, uh, it ended at 74. Yeah. yeah, I just didn't feel like it had the singles yeah. to sustain it, so. Right. Uh, you are, yeah. I was, I, I was. That's I one question out of three. Question. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Is he still hoping that I'll bomb out I, and thus get the That's my strategy. Win? You got it. <laughs> Let's get out. Let's move on. Milk it. <laughs> my strategy was for you to bomb out. Yeah, let's, let's move on to milk it. We're going to start this one uh, pretty much near the top, but we're going to start at 10 seconds. the same stuff that we've talked about the same you know they, this is their three bag of tricks and they're right here in that clip that kevin just played uh here it works for me um i i think that there's a lot in here that is prophetic to the scene that would come about seven six years later i hear a lot of new metal mm-hmm. in this 
throw some stupid record scratches, throw a little bit of rapping, and that riff right there is so like West Borland. It is so Limp Bizkit. That da 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 da. Like just that. That is so disturbed. Well, yeah. And I have to give him a lot of credit for that. Like this yeah, is it, way before that. I well, I'll agree with that. And but in a way, this song, um, it's like explains to me why they went to Steve Albini for to record this record because this to me sounds a lot like Steve's bands like this sounds like a big black or like a shellac or like a rape man or even um, like a Jesus lizard song I know I'm probably naming bands you guys haven't heard before but if I've you go back and Jesus listen to lizard. that stuff you'll be <laughs> can't say I know anything yeah about like and, no no that's fine but like they all recorded with I mean, Steve recorded his own bands and then Jesus Lizard recorded with him. And you listen to that stuff and it's like, oh, that sounds like Nirvana's version of of one of those songs. And in a way, it's definitely not a pretty song. It's ugly. It works. And, but I think, but it, it's authentic. It sounds like it'd be something off Bleach, like one of the later songs off Bleach where it's like their own quirky, weird horror kind of style of writing. And it's not gonna, it's, not, it's never gonna get on the radio, but... I applaud them for putting this on this record because again, it just ties into like, maybe this is the last thing we're ever going to put out. And I want to put every, every Nirvana sound, everything we do onto the final record. And like, we're going to ship this off into space. And if th this is like the one record where you'd ship it off into space, does give it to <laughs> aliens. I think it's like, Oh, what, what, what's the one record that I would want to listen to by Nirvana to get what they were all about. I would, I would give them this one. And I'm glad that they put this on there because Again, I, I can imagine the record label, just them turning in this record and then them getting in to milk it. And it's like, oh. really, guys, you're putting this song on there right now. You guys are the biggest man in the world. You need to sell more records and you're going to put in this bleach era. Like you guys have done this already. And they're probably like, F you, you know, this is our sound. This is what we came up with. We're going to do it. Let me throw out a care. general discussion question. I think we could just save for next album or next next show. What if they had done, and you got a pair of these guys to Guns N' Roses, maybe, even as much as they would hate that, they kind of are the Guns N' Roses of the 90s, but they had done, they had recorded this album, not released it, put it up in a hot air balloon, send it in orbit about 20,000 times, and let it slowly drift back so that in 2002, 2004, this album was released. How would that? Have, how would have people perceived it? How would have would have that? Like that would have been, I guess, an interesting way to just to say, Nirvana was the last. Never mind, and there was just like this Wu Tang album that nobody. There was one copy of it that was ever released, and nobody heard it. <laughs> and then you got to hear this. Like I think that perspective would have given a like to me. I think that would have that would have brought this record up. Like if it had this been like a two thousand and two record or something. Yeah, I don't know. Again, this is the beginnings. I mean, Nirvana always kind of, cool. yeah, there are, I mean, there, there are a few things that they did help start. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, it still has that nineties feel to it. So I don't think it, I don't think it was as fat sounding as some of the later, like down tuned kind of like extended range instruments. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, uh, that those later bands were using. Um, but, uh, I could see the influence though. I mean, the DNA is it's definitely just the way there. the riff is written and especially yeah. when it breaks down to that, just, you know, I could just hear like Fred Durst you know is starting to speak over that right. quiet you know, chorus. You know, it's sure. you know, it's yep. you know, it's I could, I could you know, it's it. kind of funny that that very kind of dissonant riff on here almost makes just kind of reminds me of like a again like a like the negative version of In Bloom, where it's very kind of it has that weird hookiness to it, but it's not 
it, 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 it's not major sounding. It doesn't hit you. It doesn't kind of make you feel good. Yeah, it's very. Uh, uh, yeah, it's almost like paper cuts in in bloom put together. Right, and it, it it's funny. Yeah, this yeah this song is uh, probably one of the most kind of sort of self-deprecating on Kurt's part. Uh, almost like he's singing about that he's like his own worst enemy. Yeah, it's very icky. So the song makes you feel gross. I mean, when you read the, yeah, I'm my own parasite. I don't need a host to live. We feed off of each other. Yeah, we share endorphins. Yeah, it's, and then it gets into some other nonsense. Yeah, look on the bright side of suicide. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of weird. Yeah, her, yeah, and then her, the parasite, her milk is my shit. My shit is her milk. Like, okay, that makes, yeah. You know what that remind, reminded me, Mark, about why you hate drinking milk? Just that story you talked about with, you don't need uh, to get into yeah, like in here. high school. <laughs> but you know, you, well, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, bu- the bucket. Let, but yeah, that's, you know what? That's not that's, for on that's air. grossing me out about this song. I was kind of digging this song. And let's just keep that memory away from, <laughs> from the song. I would say it stacks but on the is, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm getting a little tired of the quiet verses. Ramping up to the big chorus. I'm getting a little tired. I, I I just feel like I I put this song on and I was not like I was the album was sliding a little bit, but I'm like, man, I'm hoping for a strong side too. And this song came on, this verse like the I'm saying the riff came on. I'm like, yeah, okay, here we go. You know, this is gonna be this is gonna be the start of some of these deep cuts. And uh Man, the verse came and everything just died. <laughs> Let's move on to Penny Royalty. Uh, we're going to start this one at 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Cherry, flavored antacids. There's the breakdown. It's there's yeah. that. What did they do that on it, the second record? Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the barber, fade out does kind of um, maybe uh, the first fled the barber. I think I they did know. the same thing. It, it, it's yeah. that's yeah, on uh, yeah. the first yeah. record. It, it's, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that's the first record. Yeah, it's funny yeah. that end fade out really kind of. It's the first time you can really feel like that he's kind of at like the like he just doesn't care anymore. There's just like I don't know, it had that kind of impact on me when I was listening. We're just like ugh, ugh, or you can't really. Uh, yeah, this is another one kind of like uh, like Polly, where it's very upbeat, but again, the lyrics are not are very kind of down in the dumps. Um, yeah, I'm just yeah. gonna assume that from now on, all the lyrics are gonna what be else down in the dumps. Yeah, we could yeah, just assume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't th- I don't think he was having too many yeah. uh, positive lyrics in the uh, songs. Yeah, yeah, I think the song we has to do with somebody who's like about or on their way out uh, uh, from an illness, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's it's one of those. I guess that was one thing they were good at with their very limited bag of tricks. Yeah, getting uh, uh, yeah, combining those weird pop melodies with kind of 
yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things. It stakes you here. You know, you hear you, the song opens up. You know immediately what it is. Uh, and yeah, just a testament to Kurt's is just simple melodies. I think that's again what we're doing. This is going back to a, on, like on Nevermind. The Penny Royalty is another example where he's kind of pulling back for a little bit from that. Yeah, yeah, where it's like you don't really totally understand what he's talking about or really necessarily care. But yeah, the flow keeps you kind of keeps it stuck in your head. Yeah, it's kind of at this mm-hmm. at this point we've talked about it. Yeah, ad nauseum. Uh, but here again, you gotta you got you gotta throw you gotta throw some support again and throw yeah like okay like yeah I, like I, I can see it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys want to elaborate. The problem is, yeah. that, the problem that is, is that we've talked about it ad nauseum and it's only what not yeah, track nine more to go. Yeah. I just feel like that we should be wrapping up the album right about now. I'm still not sold on the 12 track album. Everybody that's just, it's I just a good album. It's it. always and 10, I, isn't it? Or all the best are just 10 with some rare just around, exceptions, but yeah, maybe that's just the way I'm going. Like, I just don't know if like, I, I I don't know who's. Uh, I, that's one thing I wish. I wish we talk about them saying "f you" to the label, say "f you" to the label, and release eight songs. You know, tw- yeah. it doesn't have yeah. to be twelve. Who cares? Who cares? Why do they? Why are we stuffing songs <laughs> in an that's, album? I get, I get that. I get that. I just wonder how much of that was. Like, I don't know. Maybe at the time they thought like all of this was and, and you look at some of the bonus tracks that are on this record outside of uh, a song that Dave wrote called Marigold that I happen to like a lot that he actually brought into the foods. I mean, I, I want to say they out of all the stuff that they recorded for these sessions, I mean, these probably are the strongest songs. So maybe they just thought like, oh, yeah, this all flows well and we're going to dump the ones that we don't think fit and. Yeah, I mean, maybe at the time. I mean, in retrospect, it's pretty easy to see like or hear which songs are the the outliers and the weak tracks. But at the time, like before you put it out, you have no idea how people are going to judge it, and you think everything well, is great at the time. Single. And then maybe, yeah, well, the record label did. Well, I don't know. Did they? The record label did. Yeah, and I mean, it's, <laughs> somebody decided it was a single. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, yeah, you get you get to some of these songs, and it's like, yeah, you you look back at it in retrospect, and it's like. Yeah, there's definitely some non-singles on this album that are like kind of weird and outliers, and maybe they shouldn't have thrown them on there. And maybe if you know Kurt was still around, he would think about it now and be like, "Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have put that one in there." But like maybe at the time they needed it, and you did say it was the CD era, so I don't know. I, I get what you guys are saying, and if they could have trimmed the fat in retrospect, you think about it, it's like, man, what if this was only like a seven or eight song album? It would be amazing. But it's but you can think about that now. But like at the time, it's before the world knew how to rank this thing, and when it was a baby, before they put it out into the world, it's like hard to know which what's going to be good and what's going to be filler. Greatest so, album of yeah. all time. You just don't have any fat. All right. Okay. I, I do have one. Uh, uh, my question right, section. Yeah. Question. Let's see. Okay. Do what you do with this. All right. Me. Okay. Um, This is kind of more of an unusual question, but okay. True or false? um, The main leave used in Penny Royalty was also used to treat stomach ailments, which Kurt suffered from, and references. True or false? Yes, Mark. Go for this one, just because Alex mentioned it earlier, and I'm just gonna hope that this is true because that was Alex mentioned he was taking medicine for his stomach, and here it shows up on the record. Uh, Gotta be this, right? uh, No, here it comes. No, it's false. Actually, yeah. 
It was actually it was actually used as a natural abortive, like a uh, like supplement. Uh, which I guess he referenced that he had friends who tried using it. Who I don't know if they were friends who got pregnant who tried to use this and it never worked. Chris, you're you're really bringing me up. He's gonna today. have to yeah. get um, one right. Okay. Or nobody. <laughs> yeah, ever pretty much it, Kevin. All you need to do is get one, and then you, yeah, yeah. No, I, I no, I'm saying like my mood is really going yeah. up oh. you know, between between your re- lyrics references and these questions. Because you know what, the no, Paris afterwards Packers game I'm gonna have to suffer through. <laughs> I try to. Uh, yeah, I have to go best, from this record yeah. to right, a Bears right. game. Oh boy, what a horrible. Sunday. Which torture would you rather have? No, I'm kidding. Um, All right, uh, let's uh, move next. on to radio friendly unit shifter. Shifter. Okay, I wanted to make sure I was typed the right thing in my notes, but we are going to start this one at one minute and twenty three seconds. sarcastic uh song titles because yeah this song is anything but uh radio friendly uh, unit shifter uh yeah it's pretty much kind of slaps you across the face with the kind of the yeah with that not that that drum part isn't uh i know i saw alex there kind of beating away yeah that is kind of a yeah that kind of keeps yeah invested a little bit um but yeah it's funny yeah yeah that part you yeah and even the, the intro to the uh the song has that uh, i don't know if again cause talking about mishuga where it's got that real dissonant very kind of yeah, that that sounds like something off of like an early Meshuggah record. Sounds yeah, like Van Halen. Uh, I love that. And what is yeah. that? Well, a little bit. Yeah, where you got like yeah. with the with yeah with his like with the power tools or whatever. But uh, uh, but yeah, this is just a, a very kind of yeah. It's almost like again like uh, Kurt's trying like slapping the face of pop music. Yeah, like okay, this is oh we've yeah. done that already. Yeah. yeah. Here's what here's what I'm gonna I throw know. to this song. You want to throw the songs? Yeah. Right. An absolutely unremarkable, mediocre song that is that is totally saved by incredible production and mixing. I don't know what all the complaints were about the mix of the record because it is great on this. It just the way the vocals oh, sit incredible. right in the center with a, a pretty wide mm-hmm. stereo uh, spectrum in the verse. Like it's good. It really saves the song. I think it makes it interesting to listen to when I kind of just don't you know yeah. care about the rest of the the, the music. Right, yeah, it's it's pretty spastic this, and random. Yeah, I, like I said, I stopped kind of reading into it. Yeah, because again, it just sounded like he was just throwing. Yeah, yeah. this is a song for me where uh, it wasn't until I mentioned it in my opening statement on the when we did Bleach, how my cousin Jono uh, kind of tipped me off to the Live and Loud Seattle show on this tour, and they opened the show with this song. And it wasn't until I watched the live version, which I'll put it in the the uh, chat here and. Not that we should uh, have to have live versions 
boost up studio versions. We should be able to just judge the songs on their on their own. on their you know initial version. But I mean, that is what did it for me. I, I I could actually see this one also opening the record, if not Scentless Apprentice. I think this could be the one. Um, and this just this live version, in my opinion, is so cool, especially because now they got Pat Smear in the band. And I know it's it's probably not the coolest thing in the world, but to me, just knowing how Pat is, I think it's so cool where he, right before it kicks in, uh, throws the cigarette down. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for you guys and you can watch it. And just the energy uh, of it, uh, it's a great live track. And again, it's it's one of those ones where it's not like a, you know, as kind of ironic in the single, in the song title, it just seems like this is one that they wanted to do. It's like, it doesn't seem like they were trying to please anybody on the radio. They already have the singles on the record here. And this is just a raw, like almost early era Nirvana song that they just want to put in there. And, and it is interesting because you look back at uh, Nevermind and I don't necessarily know it, it's tricky. That's why I think this record's so cool because you could go back to Nevermind and be like, all right, they were really going for it. They weren't trying to please the diehard fans here. Uh, they were going for greatness and success, and there's some more conventional pop songwriting. And then, uh, and they kind of were, in a way, trying to maybe the opposite, doing that on Bleach, where they were just trying to do their own. You know, this one's for the basement show, but I'm going to kind of slip in a little bit of about a girl here, and I might get some flack for it, but I'm just going to put the one in there just to show what I can do. He really goes in into it on Nevermind and then on In Utero again. Like he, it's the perfect balance of the raw. I'm gonna make some songs for for my friends and to prove myself that I'm not a sellout. But then he's also gonna have some kind of sellout conventional pop songs on there, and and I think this is you know one for the fans. So uh, let me just play this and uh, yeah, go watch the live version, live and loud. I think it's great. It sells the song for me. I just get chills from this performance. Clear, I don't yeah. care. I think the, I think the song is so cool. <laughs> Some songs do work better. They they yeah. definitely have some deep cut tracks where it's like, uh, but this is one of the standout deep deep cut tracks for me. I will I say I will song. say yeah, there's definitely a lot more muscle in the live track. And yeah, and again, yeah, there's some tracks that just were made for the live setting where yeah, where that's just where they flourish. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Tourette's from the top. Moderate rock. Vigilante, my 
Records was kind of Kurt going full hardcore instead of uh, just normal punk rock. Um, again, probably something that would work well in the like the sweaty, yeah, Seattle clubs. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Again, it, it serves its purpose. Yeah, it kind of uh, uh, yeah, kind of like uh, what was the other hardcore kind of. Uh, yeah, what's the song I'm missing? I don't know at this point. Territorial pissings. Uh, no, on this record, what am I missing here? Very ape. Uh, yes, thank you. Oh, it's probably... Thank you. Okay, yeah. Uh, it's 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 the it's the heavier version of that where it's just kind of yeah. This is just going a lot. Just like inhibitions are yeah. You're just totally giving uh, totally loosening everything and you're just going for it. Uh, yeah, this is probably the most like I'm turning my back on the last year and a half song that they put out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. How, how can I totally alienate all the new fans? Okay, I'm gonna do this. It's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, de- it's, def- it's, de- it's definitely more of a statement song right. than it is a. Uh, oh, I know this is like I'm not trying to please anybody with this song. I know this is not going to be probably a fan favorite, but it's just a sweaty live track, and I'm going to put it on on this record that we're supposed to be the biggest band in the world. But f you, this is part of our sound, right. and I'm going to put it on there. You like it or you don't. It's short enough. Yeah, minute yeah, thirty-five. It is. That's why. That's why I played about half of it because otherwise we'd be playing almost the whole song. Um, let's move on <laughs> and close this thing out with all apologies, starting at one minute and thir- fifty-seven. Yeah, this is it's funny for all the weird kind of in the in your face stuff that you got in the last couple of tracks yeah here we kind of come back to that uh uh like heart-shaped box it's like the best distillation of their kind of, of where they came from to where they had gotten to with nevermind uh and it's kind of sad uh like especially with that bass intro um i, I wrote it's not quite a warm blanket but it kind of makes you kind of go on alert for Kurt. Like there's, there's something going on here where it's almost like this song is like a, like a good, like a, like a goodbye letter or like a weird personal eulogy. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it's weird after. And again, I also wrote, uh, yeah, that it's at this point, it's Kurt kind of finding perspective, like after all the, like after all the craziness that just kind of came in the last, again, the last few tracks and here, yeah, everything kind of slows down a little bit where you kind of take stock um and again it's funny he references the sun again like he did in uh dumb uh where yeah we're yeah we're there are certain people who've uh who find light in the darkness and uh i don't know that just seems to be kind of an ongoing theme with Kurt here, where it's something he wants record. i like the exactly. end of this one how it uh, fades out it almost reminds me of yeah. i think um is it uh 
it's a, a yes song um that, that has that uh, i think it's a seen all good people where it just kind of just fades out i mean just kind of this right a record uh just that looping yeah vocal. the distortion it's, too that's a there's a yeah. yes song that ends just like that i don't think nirvana was referencing yes there but it's just a great way to end the record yeah i was kind of looking at that weird distortion at the end where it's like where he's trying to see through the brush or whatever but there's just too much cloudiness or too much distortion to really to try, try to find any balance uh yeah i think that's pretty much how this so this song is pretty much kind of like an end like a like a like a period on a like I tried, I tried to figure it out, but yeah, there's just too much in the way. Yeah, yeah. Again, on the mm-hmm. that's how the last day is something in the way here that really is something in the way. Yeah, per, like a permanence. Uh, and it's very beautifully written. Yeah, it's very. Uh, but again, in retrospect, when you it's hard to listen to, uh, knowing what ultimately happened happened three four months later. Yeah, where it kind of again it. Yeah, where it's almost where it was almost too like where you like really was he really planning like he like where he's conscious that the, he wasn't going to make it to the end of the following year. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but it really is set up like that, yeah, where it's almost too perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of a, a swan song. Sure. All right. Well, Chris, I got one. Do I, I have g- to get a question? Yeah, I do. Right? I, got, I, do. I got one here. Um, uh, one more true uh, or false. Uh, yeah, this is kind of interesting. So um, Steve said, uh, or Steve Albini said he initially wasn't familiar with a, uh, with, a bulk of the band's material and also uh, was not a fan of the uh, the songs that the label had sent him. True or false? All right. uh, I don't have to buzz in, you, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah just, go, just go for it. I'm going to say true. Uh, you are correct. Amazing. I knew yes. that yeah, one. He, oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, oh, so, like so I got the, the, the guy who's the, guy who's the least enthusiastic now, well, you can. Well, you have the choice of a couple Chris, of Chris, you get you uh, an extra one on this record you're taking? Uh yeah I guess I guess I'll I'll yep. take it yeah. Wait so I got Speak three buys two terminates I need three to terminates and two buys and two buys yeah okay. Speaking of uh, Steve, I know I was um, really proclaiming his production on this record and I stand by it. But one thing I actually just read here that I wasn't familiar with, um, so I don't know maybe you guys might know this, but all apologies, um, heart shaped boxed and penny royal tea were actually the three songs from the record that were remixed by Scott Litt, who was, uh, he did a lot of the REM records. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are Steve Albini mixed versions of those songs, like on the deluxe edition that you can go listen to, and they're not entirely different. But I could, uh, I was just saying, like, you could hear, you know, why, in a way why Scott Litt, like, did that, because they there were the singles and they definitely have like a wider, little bit more smooth and pristine sound to them, which I know that might sound kind of weird because it's kind of like a rough sounding record, but compared to the Steve versions, you could hear it. But uh, I'm actually hearing here, it says, um, uh, Cobain explained in a 93 interview, the songs were remixed, those three songs, because the vocals weren't loud enough. And every Albini mix I've ever heard, the vocals were always too quiet. That's just the way he likes things. And he's a real difficult difficult person to persuade otherwise, which that makes sense. And then he says, uh, Cobain and Novoselic also expressed dissatisfaction with the album's bass sound, yeah. which they believed was too mushy. So I, I just wonder to myself, 
like Kurt kind of hated how polished Nevermind sounded. So then they went and they, I guess they were always dreaming of recording with Steve from the, from day one. Cause they always wanted that raw in the room sound. And even then, once they got that, they still weren't totally pleased with how he mixed their songs. And I just wonder, I wonder what this record would have been like if Scott lit, like mixed the whole thing. Like in a way, I think it's cool that they only, you know, for the big songs that they knew were going to be on the record, they're like, okay, yeah, go ahead. But I want the majority of this record to be raw. And I just wonder, you know, what, what would it have been like if Scott did the whole record and made everything sound a little bit more polished or Steve had his way and was able to do the whole thing. It's just kind of a nerdy question. Sure. But yeah. All right. Good thing that wraps up this record. Now to move on, we are looking for our final Love It or Flush It on this record or on the Nirvana discography. You got 12 tracks to go through. Alex, are you ready? I am. And just, just to make sure I got the rules right, because it's only three albums, we have two buys, two terminates, and then if you win, yep, you get three. So Kevin has three yeah. of uh, either buy or terminate, whichever he chooses to do, and Chris has an extra because <laughs> he asks the questions. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, tonight's order, I'm going to start, and uh, then it's going to be Mark, Kevin, Chris. So starting off, Serve the Servants, uh, big love for me. I, I, I see what you guys are saying by the song order it is interesting i wonder if it should have been arranged but i still love the track so i'm going to give it a look um, i'm having a tough time evaluating this one after getting through 12 songs of this this was probably one of those that is just kind of all the same thing from nirvana uh, and being that it shouldn't be in the one spot i'm going to flush it hmm. So me next, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like a combination of Mark and Alex, but I feel like it's one of the stronger songs on the album overall, so I'm going to keep it around. And Chris? Uh, yeah, same. Again, it just has a melodic, uh, yeah, kind of structure that I, yeah, that was stuck in my head, so I'm, I'll give it a love. All right. Track two, Sentless Apprentice. Uh, this is going to be my first buy. Uh, I think it's kind of the ultimate track uh, on the record. And again, I, in a way, am trying to give a little bit more love and appreciation to some of the more deep cut tracks. If you want, you can go get the greatest hits. All the hits are there. And for my playlist, I want to give light to some of those non-hits. So uh, I'm putting it on my playlist. Uh, this Mark? is an easy buy for me. I think that the money is going to be flowing on this one. Uh, in my story, this is the peak of the band. This is them kind of having their pop hits, get at, figuring out how to get out of their own way with something in the way. And this is, I guess, the greatest work that the band has put out, being that I've heard every Nirvana song uh, to this point, unless they have any kind of secret songs that I don't know about. This is my... Well, there's a lot of B-sides Well, this is my stuff, favorite yeah. one. I'm not <laughs> sure any of a B-side might. Uh, who knows? But uh, this is my favorite Nirvana song. Give it a bye. Nice. Kev? I think it's uh, no surprise that I'm going to be buying this as well. <laughs> That's cool. I'm surprised, but the, I, deep I appreciate it. Chris. That oh, number okay. two, but it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Uh, um, I did. Uh, I did enjoy it. Uh, yeah, it is a very dark kind of, very dissonant song. But uh, I'm not going to buy it. I'll just give it a strong uh, love, though. All right. Yeah. Track three, heart shaped box. Uh, going to give this one a strong love. Great track, Mark. Um, this is the one with the solo. Uh, I, I guess I'll stick by my rules. Okay, I think on. I brought that rule out in Bleach that I will not let a solo completely ruin a song for me. So it's a good song otherwise, honestly. It's it's a pop hit for a 
coherent reason that I could explain, so I'll give it a love. Okay, and Kev. Yeah, I'm going to keep this one around, too. Um, this is probably one of the ones I enjoyed most on the album, so yeah, I'll, I'll keep it. All right, track. Oh, I'm sorry, we got Chris. We got Chris. Yeah, for Go Heartshape Box, right? Um, you want to fire off because yeah. you no, got yeah, a drop? Be- you want to just fire off a bunch of tracks here? Um, no, it's all right. I'll just give me one minute. But yeah, I'll, I'm going to buy Heartshape Box. Yeah, I think it's the best distillation of all of their uh, all of their sounds. So, uh, but yeah, I'll be right back, everybody. Okay. Give me one second. Sounds good. All right, track four, Rate Me. Uh, gonna give this one a love as well. It, it's a bold statement, and uh, it's a catchy song. And I appreciate the uh, the sort of kind of angular, weird bridge that they throw in. Pretty much uh, a standard kind of pop structure for the most part, but they make that part a little ugly uh, for such a big radio hit. And uh, I like it a lot. So, Mark, um, I'm not too sold on this one. I don't think it's as strong as it possibly. I think that the message of it was more unique for the time. Um, maybe I'm overstating that a little bit. I wasn't around back then, but I guess you just, it, it wasn't mainstream like it is now. Like if somebody put a song like this out, it would just be almost generic or, you know, so I'll give it credit for in 93 being something that maybe is a little bit more bold. Um, so the context, I guess, helps it. I don't want to give it credit for being in the fourth spot, as I explained. I, I guess it's just a love. It's a, it's a love. I, I wouldn't buy it, but it's it's a it's a love. Okay, Kev, I'm just not feeling it as much. Uh, this is one that's on the bowl, as Chris says. <laughs> um, I just I'm not sure exactly where to put it. It's got to belong on the album, though. Yeah, it kind of does. And I think Alex made some good points about the bridge being uniquely Nirvana, right? That was that was this song. So I, I'll keep it around. I saved that one. <laughs> Just think of like Milk It or Penny, like Radio. Like, I don't know, this one belongs on there more than those would. Not saying you have to flush those too, but. Yeah. All right, Chris is back. Well, what do you give him right now? Uh, I'll give it, uh, I guess I'll give it a love. Yeah, for being a very kind of blunt song that uh that it succeeds in that weird pop section that nirvana occupies yeah <laughs> so yeah i gotta give it to them that they kind of pulled it off okay um let's bring on and over to francis farmer we'll have her revenge on seattle um you know if i had if i had won the trivia i might be buying this one as well just because again it's one of my favorite deep cuts i know it's maybe again i'm really trying to avoid the singles here but i might have to include one just to kind of include the uh the the dynamics or the black and white of the record but um yeah it's just i'll keep it a strong love i love this song mark uh this might have been saved just by chris emphasizing the story of it um because musically it doesn't do a lot for me uh so i will give it just a light squeeze based on maybe i should give it license squeeze based on i thought i would completely hate it based on the song title but it makes sense (laughs) Like when you look into it, yeah. so I have to give that a love. Yeah. All right, Kev. <laughs> wow. No, did handle. not hesitate. <laughs> Said it was the weakest song so far, and I'm sticking by that. Um, Chris. Yeah, I'm actually gonna. This will be my second buy. I just love the flow Thank and the you, tempo. Chris. 
of this song. Yeah, it, it was kind of uh, yeah, stocks on the rise. Or, 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 well, yeah, that too, and, and an unexpected kind of where it's like, yeah, that's just a, uh, it, it's a weird song that gets stuck in it's, but it's not your typical pop song. Yeah. Okay. Uh, track six, dumb. Um, I'll give this one a light squeeze. I know it's one of the, maybe the bigger songs, but out of like the kind of more acoustic driven tracks, uh, it's, it's one of the lower ones for me, but I'll keep it around. So, uh, you know, it really it. says something that the only reason I remember some of these is Chris's discussion bringing up the lyrics and the perspective of the song. Otherwise, Dumb would be completely forgettable to me. Um, I might have to punish it with a flush, but this does this fit on the record better than some of the... Yeah, I guess this one does fit a little bit on the record. It fits up as a great follow my, a follow-up to the success that they had, so I'll give it a love. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead. Where are we at here? Kev. Dumb. Mm, yeah, it's, it's me. Okay. I'm going to surprise some people. I'm buying. Okay. I'm using, I have a fistful of dollars and I'm using some of it on dumb. I think it, you need this side of the band on my playlist. If I'm building a playlist, I want to put some, some, something like this. So here, here's where it is. Okay. And Chris. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a big love. Yeah. Uh, for reasons specified earlier. So, <laughs> all right, let's bring it on over to track seven. Very ape. Now, normally I wouldn't really get rid of any of these songs, just not so much as I think they're all my favorites. Cause I won't say that, but just as representing kind of every sound of the band, I think kind of everything needs to be here in a way, but Knowing what else they have in retrospect, uh, I will start my first flush here with this one. Keep it going. I'm dropping the bomb on these. Apes are not winning this war. And Chris. Yeah, I think uh, think I'm going to have to terminate this one as well. Um, Even... I mean, it's better. It's it's funny. It's it's in the same vein as Lounge Act. It's not as bad, but it doesn't really fit uh, on on this specific record. Yeah. I wish if it would have been on um, on the last record, it might have been a little bit better. I might have saved it, but... Uh, with maybe a flush, but yeah, but here it doesn't. Yeah, it's uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I barely remember it. So <laughs> okay, um, yeah, let's bring it on over to milk it. Um, I'm gonna keep this one around. Not that it is a favorite song; it's a little hard to listen to. But again, I, I think it's like the most Steve Albini esque or like influenced by Steve's bands. And I think it was really cool that they did this, uh, that their version of maybe something like what he would do. And it's very unique to the album. Um, and I don't think it deserves to be taken away. So I'm going to keep it around. I'll give it a love. Mark? Um, yeah, this is the one that I liked. The Was this one of the... Was this the new metal one? I don't even remember. Uh, yeah, this, okay, yeah I is. think that was the one yeah. I give had. Give credit yeah. for it. Give it a love. All right. And let's go ahead and bring it over to Kev. 
This one's going to be a two. <laughs> that was lined up perfectly. And Chris. Yeah, I'll give this one a flush. Uh, I know Mark's new metal reference kind of ruined it, but... Yeah, mostly uh, just because, yeah, I, aside from that dis- that negative op- kind of the negative side of in bloom, uh, but I don't really remember anything else about it. So, yeah. All right. Uh, let's bring it on over to Penny Royalty. Um, hmm. We have to terminate yep. two, huh? You didn't terminate yeah. two on Nevermind, by the way. Nope. I you didn't terminate a lounge act. We must have forgotten about that one. Oh, I didn't even realize Ooh, I did that. Gotta go. Got away with one. <laughs> I guess so. You got to um, use that Terminator. Yeah, I got three so Terminators. More Terminators. Gotta be fair. Somebody, that, I mean, Chris has got... Yeah, you oh, have to. On. Because it's unfair. Because you and, you and Chris are right now neck and neck in terms of your Nirvana love. And it... All right, well, maybe I'll just go okay. back and find out which one I would terminate on. Never mind. Right. I'll do that at the end. Okay. Um, yeah, man, this is tough. What would I want to... I'm just going to go back. I'm going to terminate Polly for you just for now. (laughs) With a note. Yeah. Oh, maybe. That that could be (laughs) done. I mean, this is a single. It's a great song, but they have a lot of stuff like this. Yeah. Let's tee it up. Wow. (laughs) Tee for me. I know. They're going to start flying. Whoa. I, I don't I don't want to get rid of any of these songs, but it's these damn rules, so I'm just trying to... They have a lot of stuff kind this, of like this, this already. This could not go from 10 to 12, and it wouldn't make it stronger for you? Sure, but I mean, uh, again, I don't know. I mean, I could say that in retrospect, but I love that they put all of their sounds on this record, and it's more of a statement piece to me that, uh, that well, that's because why they don't I like have a third it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm... Fourth, I guess. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I'll stick with that. <laughs> I'm just going. Is it me? And Chris. Okay, it is me. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this a love. Yeah, I always liked uh, yeah, just the, again, pop sensibility with weird subject matter. So it hits all those boxes for me. Okay. And radio-friendly unit shifter. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to buy it just because I know it's nothing crazy, but it's one of my favorite deep cuts. And again, approaching it from that, I wanted to give it a little bit more attention because I love it. But honestly, the live version is really the superior version for me. Um, so if I was doing a live thing, I'd probably buy it for that. But I will just give it a strong love. Mark? Um, I'm also going to love this one. Uh, I perhaps am letting my influence uh, be swayed by the live version, but uh, so be it. Kev? I'm definitely letting my influence be swayed by the live version, and I'm going to use my third buy. And Chris? Wow, I'm going way on the opposite end. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to have to kill this one. Yeah, it kind of it, it, it gets... It's, it, 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 it breaks the, oh. d- the dissonant meter for me for rock music. And I just, I could, I didn't, it was a song I didn't really go back to. Uh, was, even though it is in the spirit of the album, I just, yeah, it's, I'm kind of burned out from that kind of style at this point. Yeah. Okay. Track 11, Tourette's. Uh, I mean, I, I appreciate it from a statement aspect of putting such an ugly song on a record where they had probably so much pressure to deliver, but they have 
kind of ugly songs already that they've done in retrospect. Like if this was the only album that they ever put out and you can only judge them on these 12 songs, then I mean like everything would have to be essential. But in retrospect, you can go back and listen to everything and it's like there's better versions of this. So sorry, but I'm going to tee this one. You know, when it comes to putting an FU on the record, sometimes it's better served by what is that called? Malicious compliance. So when somebody wants you to write more poppy stuff, you just go ahead and you write the most absolutely sappy, most obnoxious poppy song that could ever be written and feed them nothing but that. Hmm. And then that might've made a better statement than having a forgettable 90 minute hard or 90 second hardcore song on the 11th spot that everyone is going to skip over to get to the hit. Uh, on the 12 spot and the, to close the record. So I'm also going to tee this up because I don't think it was the right kind of statement had they wanted to do that. Sure. But you know what? They might have done... Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it doesn't need to be. Right. Not a thought that needs to be shared. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not going to flush it, but this one, this is one that will probably remain indefinitely on the edge of the bowl. Um, I'm going to give it a very light squeeze slash on the edge of the bowl. I, it's necessary enough. Like, okay, I understand the headspace. Yeah, maybe it's a little too predictable as far as just sticking it to the man, but, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a pass. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And wrapping it up with all apologies. And again, I know I'm breaking from my rule a little bit on trying to give love more to the less popular tracks, but I already kind of have a, uh, middle of the road rocker and Scentless Apprentice, and I want to tap on the dynamics of the album, so I'm going to buy this song. It's a swan song. It wasn't the last song that they ever really released. There's another song on the uh, Greatest Hits. That was kind of the last thing they recorded, but, I mean, if I'm taking one out of Mark's page of making a movie, and this is the final chapter, kind of like a a High Hopes Mm -hmm. in the Pink Floyd camp, I think this is a similar... Uh, similar behavior. So I'm going to buy it and put it on there. Alex has Mark. spoken for me. Ring it up. Oh, wow. Kev? Well, I blew all my money rather quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I'm going to keep this one around. It is uh, a good way to close out the album overall. And Chris? Uh, I agree, but I am going to buy it as uh, well. Like my uh, strong support. I to uh, co-host. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what, what can you say? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that hasn't already been yeah, said. Right. So uh, yeah. interesting close to the record. Got kind of wild on the B-side, if you would consider uh, anything that was made for CD a B-side. But I guess the the the, um, it, the habit is still there, I suppose. And uh, it ended up shaking out on the back half of this discography. So got some interesting numbers to share, but I'm not going to share them here. If you would like to find out our closing thoughts on Nirvana. If you've made it this far, surely you will be listening to the rap episode uh, because uh, it, it's it's always a lot of fun. I think some of our best thoughts on the show are shared at the end of discographies. Uh, we'll see if that shakes out because this is going to be the first time that we've done that. And uh, I think it'll be a great way for us to grow our audience for people who aren't interested in the whole thing but want to hear our more nuanced appearance, uh, opinions on the show. 
and we will be saving it for you next episode. So we'll keep that momentum going. Thanks for listening. Thanks for making it to the end of uh, this discography and in utero. Feel free to like, subscribe, rate a review, um, you know, good or bad, whatever, uh, share on Twitch because it's uh, a lot of fun doing these and we uh, like having your support and your comments that, uh, you know, we can react to live on air. So we will see you next time. We're not with a new discography, but with a Nirvana rap episode where we will share some questions possibly uh quickly let's throw some out there i'm thinking um you know my question about the hot air balloon with this record um possibly does nirvana have the most consistent and greatest closers of any band that we've done uh seems to be uh, showing its way in the buy side um how did the lover flush it shake out we've got some interesting uh, stats that might be a bit um well i guess we've uh you know gone gone over it but that might be something worth discussion and do do we want to hear in a third nirvana a fourth nirvana album do we want to hear a fifth Nirvana album or is the band better off ending here what would it have been how would their discography be looked at differently had they gone on and done the inevitable what every band has done you know decline or I guess reinvention you know what would that have looked like so anybody else got any questions that they want to throw out there as a little teaser for what they might have discussed in a general episode I mean I have a good um yeah, I have a good t- uh, question that I want to bring, and I don't know if I'll get into it now, but uh, it's more, it, it, it's just going back, now that we've wrapped up, and I know I was asking this like at the beginning, like why was it this band that did it, and part of me understands, like I feel like I could get it, but then, you know, there was definitely more talented bands of the era from like a Chops uh standpoint and it's like well why did those bands not do it was it really just the total anti shredding movement that somebody just wanted something so simple and in a way so careless and i won't say it was careless but from a band that almost seemed like they didn't like they didn't care it's the one that did it and i'm just curious on on maybe more your guys thoughts on that and if it was maybe more of like a social experiment sometimes like did the I think I brought this up in one of the episodes where it's like, did the record label just need a band and they just picked these guys and kind of in a way maybe over marketed them to in a way force the uh, the zeitgeist you know general population happen. the zeitgeist like did they force this to happen and did the record industry in the media really in a way kill Kurt? How much responsibility did they bear? Or his suicide. An interesting question. Anybody else got anything? Right. Oh, that's it's a hell of a. Uh, yeah, yeah, that 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 sets up us nicely. I'm not going to drop any more questions in there. <laughs> good gesture. You know, we'll be yeah. going all night with. Questions. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> right. Hopefully, that uh, teases you out for that episode coming uh, next week. Sometime we'll be recording, and uh, yeah, hopefully. Um, You'll take a listen. So it's been fun, guys. That's another wrap for Nirvana, and we will see you for one final bonus episode to send them off. Peace.